Good morning. Welcome to Wake Up Carolina. Monday morning, June 20th, 843 661 is our number. Good morning, Royal Rev of Radio. Good morning. Everybody alive and kicking. Freehold, you're good to go, I would imagine. Um, okay. Uh, anything in particular you want to start the week off with? Uh, the Braves had a uh, kind of a, a, a reality Back to check. reality. Yeah, back That's to reality. Right. Here's the scary part of this. So the Braves went 14 in a row. Mm-hmm. What, 15 of 17? Um, during that period of time, they had the second best record in baseball. The Yankees had a better record. Um, they're still what six and a half games out of first place. Uh, like to, you can't get ten games back, guys, unless you are a dynamic New York Yankee, seventy-five Cincinnati Red team. You can't get ten games back. So the Braves went fifteen of seventeen. They were ten games back when they began this streak, and they're six and a half games back now. I mean, just stew on that for a second. Uh, the Mets have not played bad baseball at all. In fact, the Mets have kind of held their own. So when a team wins 15 of 17, you would expect that team to make a big run, and they didn't. And, uh, you know, I just don't know how many 15 of 17 streaks the Braves have in them. And, um, <laughs> I wouldn't think very many. Well, I mean, nobody does except the Yankees this year. Yeah. I mean, I've not kept up with the Yankees, but good land. I mean, they're playing like 750 baseball. I mean, for you folks that graduated from Hannah Pamplico, that's three of four. I mean, that's not, I mean, two of three is phenomenal baseball. I mean, nobody wins 666% of the games. Nobody does that. I mean, very seldom does that happen. The Yankees are on like a 750 clip, which is um pretty absurd. But uh, anyway, the Braves come back to reality, did win, salvage one game of a three-game set. They were playing against the, um, Chicago Cubs. a team that while the Braves were on their winning streak, the Cubs were on a losing streak. I think they had they had lost 10 in a row before they played the Braves. The Braves had won 14 in a row before they played the Cubs, and then the Cubs took the first two games, Braves got the last game. If I'm the Mets, I feel good. I mean, I feel really good. The, the Braves threw about everything they had at me, and I survived. And, and you know, didn't – I mean, it's not a two-game lead. It's a six-and-a-half game. Did the Mets win last night, or do we know? I'm not sure. Uh, I don't know either. Uh, 843-661-0937. couple of things I want to make sure we kind of – um follow up on so the Mets lost last night okay that's a little bit of a help there for the Braves that gets them back to five and a half and yeah. I don't know how many head-to-head series the Braves and the Mets have a bunch I'm sure I would imagine the second half of the year uh, divisional rivals they'll play one another there's a chance to a gain some bit. ground if yeah. you win if you win or to lose some ground if you lose um, right. exactly yeah, yes. but you put yourself in such a spot yep. uh, you, you have know, to win you got to win a lot of baseball games because the Braves will lose seven of nine uh, one of these days the Mets will win seven of nine um, that's just the nature of 162 game um, regular season. Uh, I, I want to go back to something that we discussed a little bit on Friday that kind of gained a little bit of life and inertia of itself or of its own, and that is this economic development project in uh, Florence. Uh, we had kind of a brief and spontaneous conversation about a um, a chicken processing plant. Excuse me, a poultry a poultry processing plant. Um, and obviously I tried to, you know, investigate to find out what it was. Um, we had several calls. Well, I had a couple of calls in the last hour of Friday show after, um, Senator Rickenbach, representative Lowe and representative Jordan left our, our studio. And, um, and I don't know that I understand with any more clarity today, what I didn't know on Friday. And in other words, I don't know today what I didn't know, what I didn't know Friday, but we need to find out. I mean, we need to better understand and, um, and we'll make some, some, uh, outreach efforts early this week to see what we can find out about, you know, where is it? You said there's still 
conflicting reports. I haven't, um, I haven't heard a confirmation because there have been two reports that show two different locations for this potential poultry processing plant, right? And they've both been publicly put out there, but I haven't heard a definitive answer. Yeah, and, and a lot of the conversations centered on, you know, is this the right place to do that? I mean, I guess that was my point. Um, it just seems we're, we're, we're addressing these things um, after the fact. Uh, the public finds out after a deal is made the part about a low-income housing project, you know, 100 yards from Five Points, which is kind of the city center. Uh, you know, I'm not saying one thing or another. Everybody's entitled to their opinion, but but I would just, I mean, I, I think the public has a right to know, you know, w- what are we negotiating? Uh, w- what are what are the objectives and goals? What do we hope to end up at some point in time? And then the public finds out um, per an announcement they're a potential chicken processing plant. I think we've confirmed that it's not a chicken killing plant. You know, it's not one of these plants that, I mean, I think they bring in the frozen caucus and uh, separate the, the parts from the parts from the parts from the parts. And, you know, out of that comes a, uh, so, so it would be the frozen, I mean, it's a processing plant. Um, the point I try to make, and, and once again, I'm talking about responsible economic development. I'm not opposed to economic development. Nobody could ever accuse me, honestly, of being opposed to economic development. I'm not opposed to county council doing its job. I'm not opposed to fee and luovs. I'm not opposed to incentivizing, you know, businesses to come to Florence. Um, but but is it responsible economic development to put a chicken processing plant that may or may not have, I mean, there's varying reports. We had, we heard 200 employees. The, the press release said 400 employees. We heard the, the PD Commerce Park. I think I understand that. Uh, I think the Commerce Park part of it is, you know, the these joint tax credits. If there are certain counties uh, with a certain percentage below the threshold of average state income, then you can, um, you can give that county a certain percentage of the tax revenue in exchange for job credits, call some of these um some of these joint economic development tax credit do- anyway. cross county yeah, tax credit. It, 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 yes, it's multi county and is um, you find a county that is at um is pretty distressed economically. Um, you exchange some of the revenue generated by the economic development project in exchange for some of the tax credits. Uh, it, it's a little bit like selling carbon credits. You know, you're kind of marketing some of the tax credit advantages but the two things that we need clarity on is is 2901 west darlington street where the chicken processing plant is going to be have there been have there been any infrastructure improvement uh, recommendations made uh if 400 employees are going to that facility on hoffmeyer and um darlington street what do we know about the infrastructure well you know the the egress and ingress um that's just a lot of traffic you know, dumped into an already busy um, corridor. Now, I saw on Facebook, I think, uh, over the weekend that some of the residential areas were a bit upset, you know, that there will be a chicken processing plant, uh, what, uh, a nine iron? No, it's a four iron, a four iron from five points. Um, and it's interesting, um, some that were very bothered by the low-income housing is not so bothered by uh, the chicken processing plant. Uh, all I'm saying is let's be consistent. You know, let, let's let's be candid about what what is going on. Where is it going? What what are the likelihood that it causes some sort of um? Is there a smell associated? Is there is there cleanliness or sanitation? Um, someone sent me an article over the weekend about some USDA violations that the business had. Um, I'm not out to get anybody. Please understand, I'm not a public official. Um, but we do have an obligation and a responsibility, I think, to our listeners and the community in general to try and add, uh, inform. I mean, I'm not saying advise. It's not my job to advise. I don't vote. 
I don't run a campaign. Um, I'm not a uh, I'm not a member of the Economic Development Partnership. But but it's it's a bit odd mm-hmm. that a project of this uh, substantial nature would be this close to a very uh, urbanized area. And, and to have not heard anything and, and about it. And the public not heard a word about until this. I, until the release, like sure. the deal is done. Sure. And I want to make with, with, with absolute clarity, I'm not accusing anybody of anything. I don't know. And I think we said Friday we didn't know. And we had someone call in um, saying, you know, you sound mighty confident about things you don't know. We didn't sound confident at all. I think, you know, we normally are fairly confident uh, because I normally do the legwork necessary to have a, a fairly sound and grounded opinion. Um, I don't know what's going on here. But we're going to try and find out. And I think the public deserves to know. If there's going to be a chicken processing plant, um, a four iron from five points, let, let's find out what sort of event, what sort of venture it is, uh, what sort of consequence directly and indirectly it causes. Um, let's get some people on the record. You know, why did we feel this was responsible? Here's the word, responsible economic development. I mean, that's the way I terminology, or that's going to be my terminology moving forward. I don't have any idea what the powers to be, and I'm not a power to be by any stretch. Um, but the powers to be have decided this is responsible economic development, is it? And I think that is a very legitimate and warranted question that deserves serious consideration. So that's kind of the role we're going to play here. I'm not opposed. I'm not for. Um, in fact, all four, you know, increased job opportunities sure. and, and increased commerce in our area. But there's got to be a, 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 you know, there's got to be a responsible economic development. Is this irresponsible or responsible economic development. That is the debate we must have. And if you don't like having a debate on these sorts of things, then don't run for office. If you don't have, if you don't, I mean, if you don't respect the fact that these debates are necessary, warranted, and into a better outcome. And um, you know, I, I saw, I got a text copied from a text that somebody sent somebody, and it said, you know, you're trying to stop a chicken. No, I'm not trying to stop anything. I just think we have an obligation once again to the public to let them know kind of what is going on in their neck of the woods. And in Florence today, there, there's some uncertainty here. There's some questions that people have about the sort of business and whether or not this is my word, and here's how I'll continue to characterize it, is this responsible economic development? We'll see. We'll find out. Is someone on the phone? Let's go to the phone. Fred in Sumter. Good morning, Fred. You are on the air. Uh, wait, my thing's not. Okay. That's my computer there. Good morning, morning, Fred. Good morning, sir. Love your show. Thank you. Got a couple questions. Got a couple questions. I travel all over the state. Looks like we're mulching all these trees with the high price of lumber like it is. You might already done something about this, but I'd like to know what in the world we're mulching trees and and our price of lumber. And also, the signs all over the interstate, the boat looking off. Can we please get some boats so people out of state don't think we're a bunch of dummies? All these signs are broken in half. I know some people have hit them, but you look across the state, our signs are in bad pair on 95 and 26 and 20. Thank you, Fred. Appreciate that. Um, yeah, they're they're cutting down a lot of the trees and the medians. Uh, I don't have any idea. They're putting these catch fences, these cables that have been, I don't know, riffs, uh, studied and tested to save lives. You'd run into that, and you'd more likely not get killed an interstate accident. I got to agree with Fred on some of the signs. Mm-hmm. Um, there's I've a certain that. sign that has been down six or eight weeks, and it's still down. Uh, it, are we that short of manpower? Is it not a priority? 
Um, how do we report it? Who do we report it to? What is the um, what is the best case and worst case scenario of how long it should take to get a sign fixed? Um, and you know, Fred said it every now and then somebody will run into them or run over or have an accident. But um, yeah, I think we could do a better job of. Uh, I mean, I think we could be, do a better job in general of maintaining our interstates. Um, I've heard people from North Carolina and Georgia say it's obvious when I get into South Carolina. I mean, the right of ways aren't cut. Uh, the 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 maintenance, the cleanliness, the aesthetics of some of these um, interchanges just don't look as good as they do in North Carolina and Georgia. Um, some of the government officials will say, "Well, Georgia's got a higher gas tax. North Carolina's got a higher gas tax. Therefore, they have the revenue necessary to do the job as capably as they can." I don't buy that. I mean, I don't think it's about revenue. I think it's about organization. Um, how big is your give a uh, give a John Brown? You know, do you care enough about? the interstates in your state to really get after um, that as a priority, um, at least economic development. I was talking about here locally, economic development. Does your state show well? Are people interested in moving to your state? All of these things matter. But I want to go back to the chicken processing plant. But what, about the, what about his mulching idea? So he said they're mulching the trees. Yeah. They're cutting down in the interstate when there's a lumber shortage. And lumber prices, of course, have been up over the last several months. You know, you, I, I don't have any idea why the, the, the contract is for mulching, not for for cutting timber. I know. I mean, I, I got to believe that the contract that's, is. But for, that's a good sure. question. I mean, you know? Yeah, but you know, pine is pine is pine. I mean, the majority of these trees are pine trees. Um, pine trees bring a certain you know uh, a, a certain value on the marketplace, um, and lumber has historically been high. It's coming down a good bit now. In fact, I would argue lumber's crashed. I think in the last probably ten or twelve, maybe fourteen days. The price of lumber has crashed uh, from what it was. And they talk about rail car units and SKUs and all these other sorts of things. But, yeah, the, the, the cost of lumber has gone significantly down because of, I think, the, the forward looking of where the economy looks to be headed. Um, housing is going to struggle, I think, uh, pretty substantially. And when housing struggles, building supplies struggle. There's kind of a, a domino effect there. But um, 843-66109. Three seven is our number. I know it's early in the morning, but I want to get that out there to begin with. Um, you know, I don't like being accused of being against economic development. I don't like to be accused of being a know-it-all. Uh, I'm neither. I'm for economic development. I- I'm not a know-it-all. Uh, I'm a guy who tries to better understand whatever the situation is, and we're going to try and get answers to the issue. I didn't say the problem. I said the issue of where this uh, poultry processing plan is going to be. Uh, what can neighborhoods expect? Uh, is it going to be a good neighbor? Uh, I passed by there yesterday afternoon. Um, you've got a surf shop on one side of the street in the Salvation Army, and on the other side, you got a potential you know, chicken processing plant. Is that responsible economic development? Once again, I'm not saying it isn't, but let's have this debate. Let, let's honestly and openly and candidly talk about you know, what the county has done and where they're doing it. And once again, we've got to settle this because there's still conflicting reports out there. Is it in the commerce part, which would be most appropriate, or is it in um, in a uh, kind of a, an industrial area that borders a lot of residential areas and what I'd call retail and, and you know, uh, restaurants? Um, I think there's one, two, three restaurants that'll be within a pitching wedge of this facility. There's a, um, I think, what, Salty Surf Shop, which be about a pitching wedge from there. You got the Salvation Army. You've got a lot of other, uh, you know, business activities, but you've got a lot of residential property there. And um, I mean, I'm just going the record. 
I don't want to live beside a chicken processing plant. I'm sorry. I just don't. I think those, those, if we're going to do this responsibly, those should be as far away from residential properties as we possibly can. We don't live in a perfect world. And I get the fact that every now and then we have to dance around in the gray, you know, to get a better answer and get some sort of, of resolution. And when I said Friday and I'll stand by this, I, I don't deny this. Don't back away at first glance, at first glance, somebody proved me wrong. It just doesn't make much sense to build a chicken processing plant a half mile from five points. I'm sorry. I mean, that, you know, is it as simple as that? Of course not. I mean, I'm sure it's more complicated than that. But at first glance, it doesn't make a lot of sense to have a chicken processing plant a half mile from what I would argue is, you know, your city center. I get downtown and, and the mall. I mean, we got all these other properties. But, but five points is kind of the, ah, the hub of Florence. And this is about one half mile from our hub. Um, are we going to live in a community where a chicken processing plant, here you go, is one half mile away from Starbucks? That's pretty diverse, isn't it? But is it good? Is it responsible? Those are the questions and you that I think know. the public deserves to have answered. You already know how that area gets congested, especially on Fridays for whatever reason. I mean, how long it takes to get through Five Points and through the, the Hoffmeyer-Evans intersection. And, and maybe they plan for this. I mean, maybe, maybe there maybe. is a well-orchestrated like plan that nobody knows about, but I do think the public deserves to know what the plan is of the folks who cut this deal, whether it's smell, whether it's sanitation, whether it's that sort of business being located uh, fairly close to neighborhoods, but, but also to your point, um, where is the traffic? What sort of congestion issues uh, would arise and how have we addressed the egress and ingress of those uh, the press release said 400 jobs i mean that's a lot of people in and out uh simultaneously you know how many up per shift i mean they, you know I'm, once again maybe they've thought it completely yeah, out i believe they sure studied well, that, I, mean, I, I would imagine i would hope they have but but i think the fundamental question is this or is this not responsible economic development take a break back in a minute Eight four three six six one zero nine three seven takes mondays to make fridays happy father's day to all of our dads a day late, but we're not on the air on Father's Day. I did read this uh, over the weekend, and we'll get to the story of my man falling off a bike um, before the uh, before no. the day is over, rest yep. assured. Um, remember Putin shirtless riding a, um, a horse, and we were like, <laughs> yeah. who does he think he is? Well, I mean, our, our guy, I mean, my man fell off a bicycle. Mm. I mean, just kind of stew on that for a second. <laughs> um, while it was stopped, right? Right. Or coming to a, a stop. Um just fell over on his uh, on his. <laughs> well, they're saying he got his foot caught in the pedal well, I mean, straps. You know, who, so who is they? I mean, that's 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 my question. He had his foot strapped who is to they? the pedal. Who and... thought this was a good idea? <laughs> who thought it was good to elect an eighty-year-old man who's in serious cognitive decline? What craziness! I mean, think about the election, guys. I mean, how did we get there? I mean, I understand Trump. Great song. Yeah, I get that. I mean, I understand you've had enough of the tweets, you've had enough of the night, you've had enough of all these, but how in the world did we ever believe this was a good idea? I understand half the country believing Trump's not. I can't imagine anybody with an IQ over 90 believing this made any sense. I mean, if you were that committed to getting rid of Donald Trump, damn, find somebody <laughs> else. I mean, good land. Well, the Democrat voters tried to find Bernie, but they stopped that. Well, whoever I mean, they is. Yeah, who, whoever they is, here they are again. Um, but wow. I mean, it's, 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 
I mean, it's embarrassing as an American. It really is. I know. I mean, you look, I shook my head at Trump. You did. Mm. We all like, don't know why. I mean, why do you at do times, that? Why no do you doubt. say that? Why do you make it so much complicated? But nobody doubted whether he had his bearings about him. I mean, nobody doubted whether he had his faculties. Nobody doubted whether he understood what it is he was doing. This guy has no clue. I mean, it's dangerous, guys. And the world pays attention to these sorts of things. The president of the United States stopped in front of a kind of a press pool or a gaggle, I think is what they call it, and just fell off his bike. I mean, he looks like a doofus wearing a helmet anyway. I mean, he's got this, I don't know, George Jetson-looking helmet but if you back that, up, that he's you look, wearing. This must have been... Uh, this must have been a photo op to try to push back at some of those things. You of know, course it was. The way he runs to the helicopter sometimes to show he's you know youngish and you know he's got his energy and and I'm sure that's what this whole thing with the bike ride was about too because there was a group of reporters sitting there with cameras. And, well, they've been told to stand there and but, wait. But and the, the president will be in a minute. For him is he rode up on his bicycle, supposed to look you know young and vigorous, and uh, <laughs> he falls off. I mean, it's, 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 you know, it's like senior abuse. Oh, it's terrible. I mean, it's, it's like, it's I mean, I feel terrible. sorry for the guy because there's no way he's enjoying this. I mean, Hunter's enjoying it and Jill's enjoying it, all of his family, Joe. And I mean, the ones that have gotten wealthy by him being a lifelong senator, I mean, they've enjoyed it because it gives them an opportunity to enhance their benefit. I mean, it gives them an opportunity to make a, another million or another million or a, or another million. The, um, the Biden, uh, crime family. Uh, you know, lives lives on. I mean, that's kind of the but 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 really, guys. I mean, this is I mean, this is pretty crazy now. I mean, it's you know, it's almost like a Saturday Night Live skit. You can imagine the producers at Saturday Night Live saying, "Hey, let's get Biden to ride around this ledge and and a gaggle of reporters waiting, and let's have him fall off the bike." I mean, that would never happen because presidents don't fall off bicycles. But let's have him stop, and all of a sudden, just you know, remember Chevy Chase. Falling down the stairs. No Let's just have Biden do one of these Chevy Chase. No, I mean, this is real world. Well, if it were Gerald Ford or a Republican, you know, they'd make well, fun he, of him forever. He would have I mean, been this biggest moron in the world. That that trip stuff with Gerald Ford still lives on today sure. is something that we talk. You talk about Chevy Chase, right? But now with Biden, his arm. Um, oh, everything's. Yeah, his, his, his shoestring got his, caught his in the, uh, just got caught in in the, the chain. Pedal. Nothing uh, to see here. No, I, I just don't know who thought this was a good idea. I mean, really and truly. I, 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 wanna, I don't want to. Well, I mean, we do. We provoke here at Wake Up Carolina. It's a lot. It's 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 a good bit unpatriotic. I mean, if you're an American voter and you vote for an 80 year old man who is obviously in cognitive decline, and we can go back. I mean, there's example after example after example of him losing his bearings, um, not having his train of thought, and it's not just the the, the you know the grind of a campaign because he didn't run much of a campaign. The few times they let him out in public. I mean, it's obvious he didn't have his faculties. It's obvious he didn't have his wit about him. And you folks voted for him anyway. Not many of you. I mean, there's some of you out there that did, but not very many of you. But you really had to dislike America first and Donald Trump to believe this made any sense at all. 843-661-0937. Let's go to the phone. Dale in Florence. Hello, Dale. Yeah, I was going to say, we finally have a president that falls down more than Gerald Ford did. <laughs> so could, can, can you picture the conversation... Oh, Mr. President, we want you to ride a bicycle. What? what, what? Young, young crack? A bike? <laughs> you know, I, I can just picture the conversation. Um, you, you know, as bad as I thought things were going to get, and I thought they were going to get bad when we elected this president, 
I didn't expect it to get this bad. You know, I'm actually having conversations with my wife. Do we need to buy some of that Glenn Beck emergency food stuff that he advertises all the time? People are getting worried. I'm getting worried. I mean, how bad is it going to get? How did it get this bad this quick? I mean, are we Venezuela or what? Uh, how did it get this bad this fast? Is is and, 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 you know, we've all been saying it. None of us think that this has happened by accident. At least some of it is on purpose, and it's to provoke, and it's politics, and it's all those things. I just didn't see it getting this bad this fast, and now I'm wondering how bads are really going to get because it's already got worse than I thought. And I thought it was going to be bad. You guys have a good day. <laughs> Thank you, Dale. Mm. Appreciate that. Have a uh, yeah. Have a great day after those. Um, how bad is it going to yeah. get? I think we all believe. Uh, Larry and I've had a couple of debates recently about how bad or not it's going to be. Um, Rev always looks like, come on, man. Let me stop with that. I mean, really and truly, mm. uh, it's going to get bad. Somebody asked me over the weekend, and I'm not a, a, a stock picker nor an investment advisor. Take it for what it's worth. I'm not in the wealth management business, but I think the Dow will probably go to twenty five thousand. Maybe twenty two five. Uh, Reggie may have a different take on that, and listen to him instead of me. Um, but but it's going to get much worse financially. Um, kind of the interesting point we had, or the interesting debate we had um, last week, a little bit was the investment in the government. You know, as long as the government debt is marketable, we we can you know continue to plug along. Um, but but if the if the Fed is serious, now now once again, will, will the Fed blink? But if the Fed is serious about tapering their balance sheet and and not being as activist as they have been, I mean, they're really in the mode to relinquish some of that uh, distortion of the economy by quantitative tightening and some of the other things they can do, raising interest rates and whatnot. If their monetary policy is going to be honestly to address inflation, it's going to get bad. I mean, it's going to get pretty, pretty awful out there um, because we have allowed um, you know, ourselves to believe La La Land is normal, and it's not. But there, there is no free lunch. There is no free ride. Um, you can eat for a long time on nothing. You can ride, for, but sooner or later, the bill comes due, and somebody must pay uh, the piper. And I think that's where we're headed. When Dale says, "How much worse can it get?" A lot. I mean, I think it get uh, it can get a lot worse, especially if you have passive income generated on some of the investments you've made, uh, if you've purchased a home the last three or four years with this um, appreciated marketplace, uh, which is just very, very, very distorted. Um, I'm actually eating lunch with a banker Thursday who wants to try to explain to me um, s- some of the other realities of the Fed, you know, local banking, not talking about Citibank and, and Bank of America and uh, uh, J.P. Morgan or Chase J.P. Morgan. I'm talking about some of the some of the banks that make communities grow and prosper and and kind of fund some of the growth in the in the small business community. Uh, we're going to sit down Thursday and try to hash out. You know, I, I'm not saying we'd have a disagreement, but he has a perspective as a banker, um, and he listens to the show. And he, I mean, he thinks I'm all over the fact that it's going to. I mean, we're we're heading to some rough economic times. What we know we're heading to some rough economic times. It's just um, how rough are they going to be? I think they're going to be really, really bad for a fairly extended period of time. Others disagree with me. Um, I heard Janet Yellen say over the weekend, you know, a um, a gas tax holiday would, would be a big relief. No, that's that's phony. I mean, that's just that's that's another charade. I mean, let's deal with whatever it is we have to deal with. 
Uh, we got to purge this system of all the liquidity, all the excess free money created out of thin air. I mean, that has to work. We've got to address that in some meaningful fashion or we're never going to get to a better place. And I just think to get to that better place is going to require decisions that are going to have enormous negative effect on the economy of which we all exist and operate in. We couldn't even get done with the first hour on a Monday morning and, and you're at well, it. No, no, you're, I'm, you're I'm bu- not. Well, you're bumming me out again. What, what did Dale say? You know, I don't, I didn't think it could get this, this bad, bad and this how fast. much worse can it get? Yeah, it's true. going to get much worse, guys. Mm. I mean, there's no way around it. I mean, it, it, we did the most irresponsible thing imaginable when we pumped trillions of dollars into the economy because Fauci said so. I mean, just think about the, the power and authority, that bureaucrat. Mm. I mean, a bureaucrat told elected officials what he thought may or may not happen. Now we find out his judgment is probably tainted by royalties that he's received from Pfizer and Moderna and some of these other companies. But nothing will happen to Fauci. You know, the most interesting point of last week was made by Breeze. What are the Republicans going to do? I mean, when the Republicans, Mike Nunn sat in here and talked about purple heroin. Are we going to secure the border or not? Are we going to hold Fauci accountable or not? Um, now we're finding out that Fauci may or may not have gotten paid. I mean, let's have a committee hearing and let's find out how many scientists and researchers at the NIH and CDC are getting paid. I mean, they're working for the government. They're working for you. And on the side, they're getting royalty payments for some of the research that they do. No, that research is property of you, the American taxpayers. Fauci makes $400,000 a year. To do his job. He's already overpaid. Sure, he's overpaid, but he's a bureaucrat and he's tenured. It's not necessarily tenured in the public sector unless you're at higher education. Some of these rules have to apply to the public sector as they do in the private sector. So what are the Republicans going to do? I've read a good bit over the weekend about when it, what is the Republicans' plan to be energy independent? I mean, I've heard them say, we got to be energy independent. What is the plan? Why don't the public have in their hands a document explaining to them what the Republicans are going to do on day one when they take over the House and maybe the Senate? What are their plans? What is the legislation that leads us to energy independence? What are they going to do about the southern border? I mean, we've got people in South Carolina taking elephant tranquilizers. I mean, they're taking opiates laced with elephant tranquilizers. Purple heroin is on our streets. If purple heroin killed a member of the general, excuse me, a member of U.S. Congress, you know what? Once again, th- there would be border security, but but it's not affecting the lives of politicians and bureaucrats and those six or seven zip codes that are so affluent, living off your dole and my dole. That should make all of us angry, guys. What are the Republicans going to do when they get in charge? Do they have sound strategy on energy? Do they have a cohesive plan on securing the border? What is the issue of Ukraine? How long are we going? How much money are we going to spend in Russia and Ukraine? I mean, seriously, does anybody have any idea? Does there have a Republican said, if we take over the House, here are our plans? No. You know what they say? The Democrats are screwing it up. Give us our chance. It's time we hold the Republicans accountable. What is your plan on energy? I don't want to hear gas is too high. We all know that. I don't want to hear drill, baby, drill. That's too. I want to hear a cohesive, entailed plan of how we're going to be energy independent once the Republicans get in charge. I want to hear how we're going to step by step by step. Where is the money coming from? Where is the money going? 
who were the contractors, who was in charge? Are we going to bomb some of the cartels in Mexico or not? I mean, let's let's come out with a plan. I mean, some of these issues, uh, if if Republicans do take Congress in the fall, some of these issues they could honestly, and this is not just saying this, they could ask the Trump administration folks. Sure. Because they were doing a good job in making some progress on energy independence, securing the border. As much pushback as they got from every part of government, they were making some progress, and I think they actually had some plans. And now we got a guy that falls off his bike. Oh, my God. Yeah, there you go, 843-661. And, and by the way, as it relates to Fauci, and uh, I think we just need to give a shout-out to Rand Paul, because if he wasn't aggressive and bringing some of these things to the public light, would we know that Fauci's getting potentially has received royalty payments from companies that he made decisions on? There's no potential there. He has received royalty payments. We just don't know how much and from whom. Mm. I mean, we can speculate Pfizer. We can speculate Johnson. We don't know that. There is no doubt that he's been paid how much and by whom. All that information has been redacted, and he's very coy in refusing to answer some of the very direct questions that Rand Paul has asked. Let's take a break. We'll be back. In just a minute. Eight four three six six one zero nine three seven. Couple of callers there early Monday morning. Let's go to the phone. Verd in Marlboro County. Hey, Verd. Good. Good morning. I'm under the weather this morning, Ken. I had a visit from Mr. COVID yesterday. Uh oh. I'm sorry. And I'm uh, in quarantine for about five days. Uh, I had the flu a month ago. Was in the hospital, and uh, this COVID is completely different from the flu. I can tell you that. It's, this doesn't seem to be quite as bad as the first one back in 2020, but. Uh, Anyway, it is what it is. Uh, people still need to be cognizant of the fact that it's still around. And, of course, I don't know where I picked it up at, but a lot of campaigning last week, back and forth, and so there's no telling. Uh, but anyway, this morning, a uh, very important uh, runoff election coming up next Tuesday, the 28th of June. Uh, uh, of course, I'm supporting my friend Ellen Weaver. Uh, Ellen is the right person at the right time for education in South Carolina. She's a Christian conservative, and uh, she believes that parents should have a right in the education of the children and not as her opponent uh, believes. But anyway, uh, let's see if we can't get a challenge to all the uh, counties in the PD and get more people out in the runoff to vote uh, Republican and vote for Ellen Weaver because she is the right person for superintendent of education in South Carolina. Thank you, Vert. Appreciate it. Hope you feel better. We got some breaking news here, and we're going to do it the next hour. We'll do it now since Verd uh, needs some encouragement, some uplifting, yeah. so let's Hope do you feel it here. Better, Verd. So tomorrow at 9... Ellen Weaver will be with us. Wednesday at 8, Kathy Manis will Thursday. be with us. Thursday, I'm sorry, Thursday at 8, Kathy will be with us. But the bigger news is Thursday night, live over these airwaves, we'll have a debate that I'm moderating between Ellen Weaver and Kathy Manis. Both agreed over the weekend. Uh, both agreed that, I mean, they had to move some things around. Let's give both of these candidates and campaigns credit. They moved some, some things around we have the state GOP helping us a bit. Uh, Mike Page with the local GOP, um, the Hilton Properties, Kirby Anderson, and um, and I think the Staybridge Suites is where uh, the event will be held. But this Thursday at 7, we'll have a debate between the two candidates for superintendent of education in the Republican primary less than a week before the runoff. And we're excited about that. I told Rev last week, I said, this is a big race. I mean, this is really the superintendent of education is a is a very important race in South Carolina. If you believe that we have some issues now, now some don't. I do. I think we've got some issues in education in South Carolina that need major, major 
uh, change made to. Um, so, yeah, both candidates have agreed Thursday night at 7, live over these airwaves and broadcast uh, from the Staybridge Suites in Florence. The two candidates have agreed a one-hour debate beginning at 7, but before that, tomorrow at 9, Ellen will be here, and then Thursday at 8, Kathy will be here. So we're going to do everything we can to engage our audience, and I'm kind of proud that we were able to pull this off as quickly as we did. I got a little nudge Saturday. Someone said, hey, I think we're close. If you could get a kind of a push from somewhere else, and, and I reached out to the state GOP, and they were very helpful. Well, uh, it's a condensed time frame, obviously, because the runoff election is a week from tomorrow. Correct. So we have to do it quickly. And, you know, we and thought about important. television. We reached out to NBF. There's no way we can do all that needs to be done in this um, in this short period of time. So Thursday night at 7 o'clock, um, we will have a, a live and in living color um, real debate between the two candidates left standing in the runoff, and I'm excited to moderate. This is a. I hope we can have a very substantive, respectful debate, one and the other. But um, you know, Verd has said who he's supporting. Um, I'm going to be as neutral as I need to be because moderating a debate requires you to be fair-minded. So um, there, that that's kind of where we are. We'll give you uh, an up close look at each of the candidates Tuesday and Thursday, and then an hour long debate Thursday night that they can discuss some of the different beliefs they have. Uh, the contrasting viewpoints of those two ladies seeking your support for superintendent of education, uh, Republican nominee. Back in a minute. Takes Mondays to make Fridays. 843-661-0937 is our number. Happy Father's Day a day late to all of our dads out there. Someone's on the phone. Let's go to there. Williams in Orangeburg listening to WTQS. Good morning, Williams. Good morning. Kids, do, do Rich Scott have a plan? I know uh, Lindsey Grady. Back is plan. Okay, the plan that Rick Scott got, you're going to take Social Security from old people. You're going to take Medicaid, Medicare from old people, which I'm one of them. Say after five years, they're going to knock you off with Social Security. That is the plan. Because on Fox News, even the host of Fox News told him, why would he do something like that? That is the Republican plan. Listen to me, your old folks out there. They're going to take your Social Security. They're going to take your Medicare. Everything. That's in the plan. Check the plan out. And one more thing, Kim. You realize your mother had more rights than your daughter will have when it comes to a body. Have a good day. Thank you, Williams. Appreciate that. Um, what is old? That that will be the first. He said, you know, when you get old like me, I don't know how old Williams is. Um, is 64 old? Is 65 old? It's not to me. I mean, I would imagine there was a day life expectancy was 71 or two. 65, yeah, you could consider that old. Um, the average American today is living about 81 years. Is 64 old? I don't think it is. Uh, my dad died at 63. My mom died at 63. They never got old, as far as I'm concerned. I never saw my mom old or my dad old. Uh, what is old? That is a very interesting I think of question. When the Beatles today. wrote the song "When I'm 64." Yeah. And they were young, basically kids when they wrote the song, looking way into the future. And of course, this past weekend, Paul McCartney celebrated a birthday 16 years past yeah, 64. Number 80. Um, 
I don't know that he's real worried about Social Security or, 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 or Medicare. <laughs> I'm sure not. Uh, Sir Paul normally doesn't worry about those financial matters that most folks do. I think uh, Williams makes a valid point. Um, to address the financial ills of our nation, we're going to have to have a very grown-up conversation about our entitlement programs. We just are. I mean, if we're serious about putting our nation on a path, a sound financial path forward, we're going to have to look at a generation. I don't know what generation it is. I mean, I would argue 50 and younger. I mean, I'll go along with 60 and younger. I mean, I'm 58. I'll go along with um with 60 and younger. Um, tell me I've got to wait three more years or four more years before I can collect Social Security or Medicare, you know, or be the beneficiary age or the eligibility age of Medicare. I've got no problem with that in the name of making our country uh, financially sound and better and more prosperous for uh, the kids and grandkids. Um, we don't have the money, guys, but that's the financial reality of where we are as a nation. We've made a lot of careless and reckless decisions uh, fundamentally based on everybody deserves everything, and we just can't pay for that. We don't have enough money to do. I mean, it, when William says, you know, they're going to take Medicare from old people, is 65 old. Is 66 old? Is 67 old? Let's have that debate about when the eligibility eligibility age should be for Medicare and Social Security. I think that is probably the centerpiece of, you know, the budget as we move forward. Um, you know, we argue about how much we send to Ukraine. We argue how much we, you know, uh, what the interest rate should be or what the um, how much the, the Fed should have on their balance sheet. But the true drivers of government debt are some of these entitlement programs, mainly Medicare and Social Security. You pay into Medicare, you, you get out a lot more than you pay in. You pay into Social Security. Uh, the, the solvency issue with Social Security is pretty easy. I mean, it really is. It's the spending curve. And the way to address the spending curve is to accept life expectancy has exploded in the last 25 or 30 years and, and adapt. Let's, you know, I think I am fully eligible at 67 years old, if I'm not mistaken, bump that to 70. I mean, that, that doesn't rock my world. I mean, of course, I'd rather get the money, you know, earlier. I mean, we all are human nature. I mean, we're fallible in that, in that way. We're wired that way. We're hardwired that way. But I don't have any problem at somebody, you know, sitting me down and saying, hey, you know, we made you a deal that by the age of 67, you were going to get this much money. The, the, the truth is our country's broke. And the only way we can save it for your kids and, and future grandkids is to do these sorts of things. And, you know, it'd take me two seconds to sign up. Um, just work a little longer. Uh, think of this, guys. If you start work at 30 and you work until you're 60, let's say 65, that's 35-year work life, and you live to be 90, but that's a 25-year, you know, period of time. You're, 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 in other words, you're, you're getting the benefit of federal government entitlements for about as long as you worked and we just can't afford that i mean it's not whether we want to do it or not it's not the moral and right and ethical argument it's the this is simply a financial formula we don't have enough money to obligate to, to excuse me to meet the obligations that we made to many many millions of americans that's just the cold hard truth it doesn't mean you love the old people less or you want to push granny off a cliff i mean you know that's some of the vernacular of the of the activist left, but no, I mean the, the reality is we don't have enough money. Let's go to the phone. Here is Joe in Hartsville. Good morning, Joe. Yeah, good morning, guys. Uh, I guess you consider me old. I'm seventy. I'm still working, and if 
if they would balance the budget and get everything straight, I'm willing to give up 10% of my Social Security. That's not a problem because I've planned my whole life for this moment. I mean, you were asking earlier, Dave, was about the food program. Since I was a kid, the church has told us to try and keep two years of food in case of hardship. Not just for you, but in case your neighbor needed help and not go in debt and and try to deal honestly with your fellow man. The difference in Republicans and Democrats is Republicans are for the rule of law. Democrats, they don't care about the law. I mean, they they pass laws and then won't enforce them. Look at all these crimes in the big cities. They don't enforce the gun laws they have. They don't enforce the immigration laws. But yet they sit up there and say, oh, we need more laws. Um it, it makes no sense to me whatsoever, but if y'all don't want that chicken processing plant in Florence, I'm sure we can find a place for them in Hartsville. <laughs> <laughs> but right. when you when you have this debate, we need to find out if uh, Ellen's going to be able to get her master's degree. Because from what I understand, that's a requirement for the job. I've never heard of anyone getting a master's degree in eight months. So I think she said she enrolled in April. So that's about eight months till November. What problem does that bring if she wins? And I hope she does because I don't know about Manus. I I was kind of leaning toward Kizzy Gibson. She's a local teacher, got Ph.D. and been with the school system as a teacher for the longest time. And that's where you need to reform. You don't need to reform coming down from the top. The teachers know what the problem is. So just, I'm, I'm concerned about Ellen getting elected and then what kind of problem that causes if she can't get a master's degree. Does that automatically kick it over to uh, Kathy Maness? But y'all have a good afternoon. Thank you, Joe. Appreciate that. Um, That's a question, obviously, that'll have to be answered. I reached out yesterday to three people who are far more informed about this race than I am, and we're to speak today with one, tomorrow with the other two, uh, to make sure I have a good handle on them. And I think I understand. Um, And once again, I'm from the business sector, so I look at education kind of as a business, the business of educating young people. Um, To me, it doesn't matter if you got a master's or not. I mean, that's simply a degree in whatever. I mean, you know, master's in education. Does that make you better qualified, you know, to run a school district or a school system uh, statewide than someone who doesn't have or does have a master's? I don't have any idea what the master's value add is, but it is a prerequisite and requirement for the job. And I think there's been some controversy about Ellen Weaver not having a master's, but in pursuit. Uh, I would imagine, as Joe said, as uh, in hot pursuit of a of a master's degree, I, I knew you were going to go as there. we speak. Well, I mean, you know, Buford sure. Justice would have been a good uh, secretary of a superintendent of education. I just I tend to look at education as a business. I mean, I do. I accept some of the um some of the the, the practicalities of education. Uh, we we had some school teachers text a, a good bit last week about you know um 
let's let's make the some of the in other words the vouchers we're talking about vouchers if we're going to introduce competition in an extreme fashion to public education uh, you know let's let's level the playing field some of the teachers having to deal with kids who come from certain places um, with certain needs and the school district having to address those needs that pu- some of the private schools don't have to address. In other words, let's level the playing field and talk about education compared to education. Um, I just think you've got to look at education like a business. And whomever convinces me that they're the most business-minded, they've accepted um, that education is in the business of educating young people performance and and some of the uh, proficiency numbers and um, how, how do we how do we defend what we do how do we validate success or failure how do we get better I mean how do we if our proficiency rating is X how do we get X plus ten percent or X plus plus twenty percent and uh, and I know very little about these two ladies I mean that sincerely I'm a little more familiar with Ellen because she worked for Dement when I was in Columbia I mean so so our paths have crossed. But I have no relationship at all um, professionally with either of these ladies. Um, I'll do some digging today and tomorrow and try to get real prepared for Thursday night. For for those um, just joining us, we have a, a runoff for superintendent of education in the Republican primary. We have Ellen Weaver and Kathy Manis. Manis got about, I think, 31 or 2% of the vote. Weaver got 23% of the vote. Um, Weaver has... Um, run as a reformer. I mean, that's been kind of the message. And when Senator and the runoff election is a week from tomorrow, a week from tomorrow, and tomorrow at nine o'clock we have Ellen Weaver with us. Thursday at eight o'clock we have Manus with us, and then Thursday night here in Florence we're hosting a debate, an hour-long debate from seven to eight. You can hear it over our airways, and I would imagine, Reb, uh, there will be tickets available or attendees are allowed working on that yep. at the stay bridge suite we probably don't have all that um ironed out yet but yeah um weaver tomorrow at nine manis thursday at eight and then a debate that i will be moderating thursday night from seven until eight here in florence so um wake up carolina trying to do all we can to make sure uh, we meet you where you are you being the voters with these candidates and what their agendas are, and I'll try to provoke. I mean, I you know uh, I I want to be fair and and, and impartial, but I, I still have a an objective, and that objective is to you know, are we going to reform education in South Carolina or not? Are we going to make it better? How are you? What are your plans to get us better at educating young people, no matter where they may or may not come from? Let's go to the phone. Here's Carl in the PD. Good morning, Carl. Hey, good morning. How are you doing? Hey, Carl. How are you? Uh, not not hot pursuit, <laughs> not that one. Um, I wanted to I wanted to reply to Williams. Um, he's he kind of he kind of has a point. Um, but he's not going to. I don't know why he wouldn't, wouldn't say this. When you're talking about old, who's old, the average black person is older, way older than the average white person of the same age, um, because the life expectancy for black people is about um, six or seven years shorter than the life expectancy of white people. And I think that's it's even a, a bigger gap in South Carolina because of health disparities. And um, Really, the 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 people who 
live the longest are white women because they break it out, um, you know, they break it out by race and gender. White women, um, I think they push 80 in their life expectancy, and black men are the shortest. They are close to 70. And so you're talking about a gap of 10 years. So uh, a lot of very, uh, even in my family, very few of the, um, you know, grandparents, uh, older people lived past their, uh, past their eighties. Um, and so they didn't have many, um, you know, much as, as far as, uh, social security, Medicare or whatever kick in because they were dead by the time they got to, you know, their seventies. So, uh, that's you know, that's something that. Why is that, Carl? From your perspective, I mean, I get the general health and well-being, but what do you what do you see as the major contributors to that deficiency? Um, I well, I think it's just the general, um, you know, lifestyle choices. Um, but it's just I don't know. It's across the board. I mean, I know I know people. I know old people. I mean, I just. I just got off the porch yesterday. Well, my, well, my my dad's dead. He died when he was eighty. Um, my mom's seventy something, and she was sitting on her porch. And down the street was my fake grandma, and she's ninety five, ninety 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 five. Well, it was nineteen twenty twenty six ninety ninety four ninety two. I'm not sure. That that well, whatever it is, ninety four. I think. But she's she's old, but my real grandmother died when she was forty three, and so she's been dead for fifty years, and so it's just, um, I think it's uh, lifestyle choices because we are we're heavy into smoking and drinking. I mean, we're not you know the average per, average black person's not a drunk, but I don't know many um, young people, young black people of a certain age who don't smoke weed. Um, because it's just so pervasive and then there are a lot of adults that do it now as well. But, um, of course, old people don't do that as much, but it's, I mean, I, I, my point is it's going to get worse because that was why I called in is that the, um, the old quote unquote old people are going to get younger and younger. And I think across all races, I think the life expectancy is going down and it's going to keep going down for black people because they've attached, um, drug use to civil rights and so now black people think that they are they got the right to vote and the right to smoke weed and crack and all that stuff thank you carl appreciate it always a different and inciting or insightful perspective from uh from carl you know i let carl go on and on because carl's an african-american who thinks a lot about the issues in the african-american community from a very different point of view you know carl doesn't watch cnn and regurgitate whatever it is they say about the issues of the African-American community, and that's why I let Carl kind of ramble about and say things that uh, I'm sure Williams disagrees with, but he's right. I mean, the average life expectancy of an African-American male is about five and a half years shy of a, uh, a white male. Males don't live as long as females. Um, no idea why. I mean, it's health and wellness and, you know, uh, lifestyle choices and all these other sorts of things. You know, there, there's kind of a weird dichotomy in American society today 
we're encouraging people to eat healthier, but healthy food's expensive. And when you look at some of the socioeconomic realities of, you know, life expectancy and affluency and socioeconomic standing and all these other sorts of things, uh, I'm not for government subsidies or incentivizing personal choice. I mean, I think that's something that, that we make and we live with. But if we were in the business, I mean, if I were, if somebody said, hey, man, you're the, you're in charge of government and government has to be uh, involved actively in some of these things, I would probably incentivize healthy food. I mean, I'd probably figure out a way to, to make it very um, cost advantageous for uh, people who don't have a lot of money to eat as if they did. And, you know, when you go to the grocery store, you and I've talked about this, Reb, um, you know, the, the organic food, uh, the natural foods, the better quality of foods, it's unbelievably Cost expensive. And, and most people are making decisions based on what their budget is. So when they go to the grocery store, when they go to the restaurant, you know, that they're going to a place they can afford because everybody has a budget. Some have a lot more uh, money than others, but we all answer to that bottom line. And I think, you know, once again, I'm not in favor of government distorting the marketplace. But if, you know, if, if I had to, food, uh, health and well-being would be one of the places I would make the heaviest investment. Because once again, eating healthy is expensive. And, and people who struggle socioeconomically just don't live as long as those who don't. Take a break. Back in just a minute. 843-661-0937 is our number. Takes Mondays to make Fridays. I'm trying to figure out a way to tie this together, starting with William's call a few minutes ago about mm-hmm. the age for Social Security benefits and Medicare benefits. I'm trying to tie that into the age of our elected officials because we have a president that is, what, 15 years past a Social Security age and typical, you know, if you, you know, quote, retirement age, unquote, um, elected senators and uh Congress people that are that old, 80 years old, and running for re-election in some cases, and they're the ones making decisions on all these things. Well, let me ask you a question. If you could build a senator, what age would that senator be? I mean, if you had Lego blocks and you had, you know, part A and part B and part C and part D, and you could build the perfect um, <laughs> senator, I don't I forget the female male part. Right. I like dudes. Uh, anyway. Uh, <laughs> Basically, age and experience. They don't is what let you're... their emotions get so involved in their, <laughs> in their decision making. In all seriousness, um, women and men are both capable. But at what age? And, and I'm talking about, I mean, you can't, I mean, there's no way to say every 58-year-old is better than every 80-year-old and every 80-year-old is better than every 17-year-old. I mean, you can't paint with that broader brush, but generally speaking, what would be the, the the best and most effective age for someone to be a senator? I think uh, 45 to 55 would probably be the best age, just based on experience. See, and, and I would say 50 to 60. So okay. we're not we're not far yep. apart. I mean, we're in the same neighborhood there. I still like a little youth. That's why I, that's why it. I said 45. I, I think um, new, new and fresh ideas, maybe. It would be so interesting. I mean, if we had a, uh, what was the old, uh, at, at Broadway at the Beach, Build a Bear? Mm-hmm. I mean, if you had something called Build a Senator, you know, what would it be? Where would they have gone to school? What would they have done? Married with kids or not? Uh, made a lot of money or not? Living in a mobile home or not? Uh, were their baseball cap on backwards or not? Um, you see where I'm headed. I mean, mm-hmm. it would be very interesting to see what the uh, the majority of Americans would say. Okay, this is the kind of person that I think would make uh, the best senator. But but there's no question about this. There's a reason that the average CEO of the Fortune 500 companies in America today are about 61 or two years old. 
I mean, the, the companies have decided that's when that person has enough experience, um, still a little bit of get up and go. You know what I'm saying? I mean, you can't be 80 and have lived the majority of your life. At 61, um, you've seen a lot, you've done a lot, you've experienced a lot, but you've still got this, um, I don't know, ref, con- conception of how, how the world works. Um, I may be a little bit like you. Thinking about it after I said it, I may be a little bit like you. Uh, in today's climate, I may say 45 to 55 instead of 50 to 60. In fact, I may one-up you. I may go 40 to 50. Okay. I, I may be willing to take a mistake with a 40-year-old who's just full of it. You know what I mean? Let's go, 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 do, do, do. Um, in other words, Junior Johnson, when, when Junior Johnson considered hiring Tim Richmond, to drive the Budweiser 11 car. I'm talking about my NASCAR uh, knowledge what, here now. Which car was that? The uh, Budweiser 11 the, car? D- yeah, the Budweiser 11 car. Uh, <laughs> when Junior hired, uh, well, I mean, I got an awesome bill from Dawsonville shirt for Father's Day yesterday. Come on. Um, so when Junior hired, cool. Tim, or was going to hire Tim Richmond to drive the 11 car, the Budweiser car, um, somebody went to Junior said, he tears cars up, Junior. He drives wide open every lap. He's not easy on the equipment. He'll break you. You'll spend all your money working on your cars and rebuilding. Your fab shop will be mad with you because they work overtime every week. You know what Junior said in in his very North Wilkesboro way? Junior said, I can slow them down a lot easier than I can speed them up. In other words, I can woe him down a little bit. It's the ones that, you know, that won't drive hard on every lap as if they're trying to win every race. And and I've just never forgotten that. Uh, that's kind of country wisdom from a very uneducated man. Um, but that, you know, I'm, I'm probably, yeah, I would probably go younger now because I think we need some, some vigor. We need some youthful oh, yeah. energy. We, we need someone willing to make a mistake. We need somebody to stand on a podium and say, look, you know, I've got everything to lose, but I'm still willing to say, this is what we need to do now in regards to such and such Ron DeSantis has impressed me in that fashion, willing to roll the dice, um, understand where it is we're trying to head, but methodically work through a plan. I said it earlier, and I'll say it again. What is the Republicans' plan on energy independence? What is the Republicans' plan on securing the border? We had a law enforcement agent in Florence, South Carolina, sit here Thursday and say that people in Florence are being exposed to purple heroin that is laced with elephant tranquilizers. I mean, you, if senators' sons and daughters and, and the CEO of major corporations' sons and daughters were being affected by that, you know what would happen? They would secure the border. But this is, by and large, working-class people. So the plan is not that um, important. But, yeah, the Republicans need to articulate exactly what their plan is on energy independence. And I think youthful energy would probably be more effective right now than somebody 60. And here you go. Give me a 40-year-old or a 60-year-old every day right now. Maybe not in days gone by and maybe not in days to come. But right now, give me that 40-year-old who might be more than willing to roll the dice and make something big happen. Let's go to the phone. Here's Breeze. Good morning, sir. Question is, how many of those Republicans um, are already bought out by uh, these corporations like BlackRock? You know, this is an engineer collapse of the entire world's democracies, and it's been going on for years. You know, they want to reset the world, reset what's left of the race, what's left of the free markets, and what they want is a shared economy. You know, and people who survive this crash will be made utterly dependent on the government in cooperation, I guess, with these big corporations that have a universal basic income and restrictions.
maxing out your resource usage in the name of carbon reduction. You'll own nothing and you'll like it. And it, what it is, it's been engineered, Ken, to create this thing. This crisis has been engineered, so you'd be so scared. This is what they did to you COVID. They had us so scared that we shut everything down. And for a while there, everybody in the world was dependent on their government. Think about it. So you had to do what the hell they told you to, you know? And, and then what, what's going to happen is you will submit to this. And, and you know, and then they have universal basic income, digital, uh, digital cur- currency, you know, carbon taxes, population, you know, trying to reduce the population. That's all Bill Gates. You know, rationing of commodities and a social credit system. You got the, your credit score will be affected by how woke you are, you know? And then you'll have, uh, basically a technocratic authoritarianism, you know? And, and my question is, where are these damn Republicans? I mean, nobody's wanting to talk about this. Maybe it's too complicated for the average folks talking. Maybe it's too complicated for me. But why aren't the Republicans having hearings up to Washington? And asking BlackRock, you know, hey, Glenn Beck's over here. He's got evidence that says that you guys uh, told Exxon to Shell not to produce any oil. While, while Biden is telling them to produce oil, well, hell, he's got black. You just said this yourself. He's got BlackRock employees working at the White House. I mean, does nobody not put putting these dots together? And realize what's you know, how bad we're all being screwed, Democrat and Republican. But I mean, the, the professors, you know, they're Democrats. Well, but probably, I mean, can't they see that we're in this together? And why the hell is anybody mad? And why aren't our daggone senators? Hell, if you can't do it on the national level, aren't we doing it on the state level? Just bringing an awareness and holding these corporations to account, you know, like the census did with Disney World. Somebody's got this. This this is actually this is really going on, guys, and, and nobody even gets it. That's why you got the girl guards in your backyard because they're intentionally they're going they're going holding back the food supply and intentionally raising the prices. None of this is a damn accident. I'm saying it till I'm blue in the face, and I think more people are getting it now. Even some of my more you know sort of guys, hey, breeze, that's kind of crazy. Well, I have one of my buddies who was a 40-year accountant said, Breeze, I finally realized, if you're right, this is not an accident. And this is not an accident, guys. And if they're talking about it, simple, we got to do something about it. You know, I don't know what to do sitting over here in my pleasant, but damn, we got to do something. Thank you, Breeze. But, and Breeze nailed it there, though. What do we do? I mean, if you believe in this great reset, and you believe, I mean, we've walked you through some of the realities of BlackRock. And, you know, Goldman Sachs and some of these other uh, mega financial firms and companies that are so influential in the world we live. But what do we do about it? What What is a radio show in Florence and a, and a personal trainer in Mount Pleasant and someone who works for, you know, a um, an industry at the beach? And I mean, what are we to do about this uh, this methodical attempt to basically, you know, take over the global economy? Um, you know, the Davos, the World Economic Forum. Um I don't have a clue what to do. I think I've identified as 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 best I can some of the connection points. I mean, I think when you talk about Pfizer, remember the aha moment we had on this show together collectively. There was a moment that that you know I I don't know reading an article in Fortune or Forbes. Um, I saw a name, and she was a senior advisor to the president, President Biden. And I was just kind of um okay. I remember that name. 
I think that lady may have worked at BlackRock. So I Googled her, and she was a former, you know, senior manager at, at uh, BlackRock. She's now one of the chief financial aides and, and officers to, to President Biden. Um, do you really believe she gave up a multimillion-dollar-a-year job to be a public servant? Of course not. I mean, she's there to make sure things get done a certain way. And I do believe BlackRock and Goldman and J.P. Morgan and all these companies have amassed enormous influence over our government. But is this the first time ever? I mean, what sort of influence did John D. Rockefeller or Andrew Carnegie or, you know, J.P. Morgan? I mean, what sort of you've seen the, the series, The Men Who Built America? What sort of influence did they have over the government? But here's the difference, because I've had that argument with friends or debate with friends of mine. Well, Ken, we've always had that. We've had the Henry Fords and the Andrew Carnegie's and the J.P. Morgan's and the, the Vanderbilt's. I mean, we've always had these these unbelievably wealthy people influence government, but government didn't have the ability to do what it has the ability to do now. Uh, Breeze is exactly right. When, when some government agency said, what, two and a half years ago, shut your business down, we shut our business down. So, yeah, I believe there's always been, you know, barons and, and wealthy connected people. I believe there's always been the ability to influence government. Government just didn't have the ability to influence our lives as it does today. Or we didn't stand for government being able to influence our lives today. Is BlackRock any different than Andrew Carnegie? Is BlackRock, is Goldman Sachs any different than than uh, the Vanderbilt family? I, I can say this, in the age of J.P. Morgan, in the age of John D. Rockefeller, the government did not intrude in our lives in the way and fashion it does today. So, yeah, I think it's far more threatening as, as a democracy or representative republic when a BlackRock has such influence on uh, the government and the government has such influence on the way we live all of our lives. I do believe that John D. Rockefeller probably had as much influence on government in his day as BlackRock does today. But BlackRock has influence over a government that has such the ability to influence all of our lives. Where do we shop? Where do we live? What do we drive? Um, how much fuel cost? Um, wh where do we get our groceries from? You know, they were the largest single shareholder of Pfizer. So you've got a, a BlackRock surrogate working in the White House. The White House is giving directives and orders on a vaccine. I mean, do you really believe that's a public servant at work? Or is that a capitalist? I mean, I would argue it's a hyper-capitalist taking advantage of influencing the government, um, and we live in that world. But, but you know, as Breeze is, I don't know what to do about that. I mean, I don't have the ability. I shine a light on it. We have investigative journalists that try to shine lights on these sorts of things. But what do you do about it? I mean, I, somebody call in. I mean, I'm ready. 843-661-0937. I think some of us, and I think Breeze is right, more and more and more are becoming aware and highly suspicious of these uncertain alliances and allegiances. But what do you do about it? I mean, how do we get in that room? How do we, you know, not make sure the people don't get back in that room? I, I'm listening. I'm all ears. 843-661-0937. Take a break. Back in a minute. 843-661-0937 is our number. Someone's on the phone. Let's go there. Eddie in Chirag. Morning, Eddie. Hey, good morning, man. How are you? Hey, Eddie. How are you? Good. I'm doing well, thanks. You know, all I'd like to say is that Breeze is 100% correct. The only thing is none of us know how deep this really goes. It's just amazing. So good job, Breeze. Hey, and you guys keep doing a great work. 
See you later. Thank you, Eddie. Appreciate that. I mean, we've always felt the intertwinement of government and finance and money and resources and connectivity, uh, political favoritism. I mean, nobody's naive to any of that. But I think we are beginning to understand with a little more clarity exactly how deep and entailed it is, um, how uber-connected and how rewarding it is um, to have government favor, to, to be in the good graces of of government. Um, and then it feeds the theory that how much of this is on purpose. You know, when you have high gas prices and supply chain and supply and demand issues and, and vaccine president- mandates. And the president says things like, you know, the great transition is going to be painful. I and, mean, well, I mean, but, but it begins with the vaccine mandate. I mean, I, I just remember I've got business oh, yeah. friends of mine who say the biggest regret I have in my life is allowing the government to tell me to close my business and be giving in. I mean, in the name of, you know, safety and security and, and principles and values and being a patriotic American, but there are so many business owners out there that say never again, never again will the government shut my business down um, and change your life forever. I mean, your, your livelihood is never, ever the same after that. I'll give an example. Let's say you own a business and the business is worth a million dollars. And, the, and your, Dave Baker's got a business. And I'm saying, Rev, I'm kind of interested in buying your business. I'll give you $700,000 for it. And Rev says, no, man, the thing's worth a million dollars. I said, yeah, but the government may shut it down. And Rev could previously have said, the government can't do that. Well, now that's on the table. I mean, that's on the table now in any business right. negotiation. So if I'm buying and trying to buy cheap, I tell Rev, Rev, it's already happened. They shut your business down. Your business is not worth as much today as it was pre-COVID because we found out that the government is indeed in charge of your business. You're not. The government said close. And what did you do, Rev? You closed. I'll give you 700000 because that reality is now a part of our negotiations that never goes away that is with us forever let's go to the phone mike in darlington hello mike hey uh, i i say uh, amen to breeze he's right on that but uh, i think we got a, a serious problem and somehow i think we have to address that we got to stop the stupid because this idea that guns inanimate objects can do things and uh, jump up and operate themselves, and this idea that we can have green energy automatically. I mean, as far as I know, no one's developed a no one's developed a warp engine or some kind of singularity uh, energy processing where you've got uh, perpetual energy coming out of uh, basically uh, nowhere. I don't see that. And the yes, it's a lot worse than it was at the turn of the century when you had the business barons, because uh, everything centralized. We're dependent on three or four uh, uh, infant formula manufacturers. This used to be localized and wasn't quite so decentralized. And did anyone ever hear the saying, "Don't put all your eggs in one basket"? I mean, that's just not smart. And that's 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 my view on things. But um, as far as the life cycle, I originally wanted to talk about uh, Carl and Williams thing. The the PD is especially affected by length of life, and uh, they're uh, and and it's uh, a little bit shorter in PD than in the rest of South Carolina. 
And I don't know exactly why that is. I think it's something that needs to be addressed. But I do know that most of, like, Horry County, nobody lived in Horry County much before World War II because they didn't have DDT and the swarms of mosquitoes would get you. And Santee Cooper was built to control the malaria uh, mosquitoes and not uh, not uh, to produce that much power, but because, uh, you know, if you've ever been to Santee, you know, you can jump out of the boat almost anywhere except right in the riverbed. And uh, you, you not the water's not going to even come to your armpits. Mike, we got a hard break. Top of the hour. We'll be back in just. A few. Let's do this real quick. Hour number three on a Monday morning. Let's make sure we precisely talk about some obligations we have here as a radio station and a show within uh, this radio company. Honor a vet is something that we do every year annually. We're about ready to start that again. I'll let Rev give the details and specifics to the honor of vet, as well as this quest for a million pennies. We've got a golf tournament that we're trying to raise awareness for. Uh, Rev, I'll let uh, you do much better at these um, <laughs> formalities than I do. And then I'm going to come back to the superintendent of education's race. But honor of vet and quest for a million pennies is something we need you to try and help us make a success. Honor of vet, we've been doing that for uh, a number of years here on the show, and we're beginning it. Uh, it's usually a summertime feature, and here we are in the summertime. So, uh, Honor of Ed is officially underway. We'll honor our first veteran this Friday on the show between 7.30 and 8 a.m., and we are taking nominations right now. Uh, so, if you'd like to nominate a veteran uh, for recognition, you can go to honoravetsc.com. That's honoravetsc.com, and we have a lot of sponsors and a prize package we put together for our veteran winner, and we want to thank Pepsi of Florence, PD Electric, and Florence Toyota. Those are our title sponsors for the Honor Vet program. Supporting sponsors include FTC, Safe Federal Credit Union, Boykin Air Conditioning Services, uh, Swipe Payment Solutions, Heinz Furniture. Uh, we also have some Patriot sponsors, Stoudmire Dowling Funeral Home, Tandem Health, Piggly Wiggly, your CBD store, and also some gifts provided by Victor's and the 19th Green Indoor Golf Center. But the important thing to remember right now is that we are taking those nominations, honoravetsc.com, and we'll have our veteran again this this Friday, our first one of, uh, of this season. The Quest for a Million Pennies golf tournament is uh, is this week. It's this Thursday, of course, a lot of golf tournaments are happening, and we'd like to invite you, if you'd like to sign up a team, it's all to benefit the Fraternal Order of Police in the PD. That's the PDFOP. And if you'd like to sign up uh, your team, you can go to questforpennies.com. And this is in conjunction with the community broadcasters, radio stations, Florence Toyota. And it is happening uh, this Thursday. It's a 1 p.m. shotgun start at the Country Club of South Carolina, questforpennies.com to go ahead and sign your team up. And uh, we need a few more teams and we'll be, uh, we'll be full. So if you want to play some golf, this uh, this week on um, Wednesday the twenty third or is that Thursday? No, oh, the twenty third would be on a Thursday. 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 Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Thir sorry. Thursday the twenty third. Questforpennies.com. Okay. So and there we are. And then we'll go to the superintendent of education's race. Um, Friday, Rev and I kind of got actively involved in trying to um, I don't know use Wake Up Carolina as a conduit to the voters about the superintendent of education's race, and we've succeeded. And I want to thank the state GOP. I reached out to a friendly of mine within the state party and asked them, I said, hey, we're talking to Manus. We think she's got, we've got her committed. 
Uh, Weaver's not, I mean, she's not slow walking us. They've got busy schedules. There's a timeline, a very concise timeline here. Uh, but could you kind of nudge her along to see if she could give us an answer? Friday afternoon, we got um, we got clarity that we indeed have both committed to um, to be in Florence Thursday night, seven o'clock. We'll be on the air on the radio, uh, broadcasting live over the airwaves. But at Staybridge Suites in Florence, um, out on I twenty, the I twenty David McLeod Boulevard uh, spur. We'll have Ellen Weaver and Kathy Manis, the two Republican um, runoff candidates for superintendent of education i'll moderate the debate um we also have in studio tomorrow in the nine o'clock hour ellen weaver and then kathy will be with us thursday at eight o'clock so i'm kathy manis thursday at eight ellen weaver tomorrow at nine and then thursday night from seven until eight an hour-long debate between the two candidates um over the airways i'll be moderating and i want to thank the state gop I want to thank the Florence County GOP. Uh, Mike Page really worked hard trying to pull this off. It's, you know, everybody's on a real concise and condensed timeline. Um, and I want to thank, and I mean this sincerely, um, Kirby Anderson and Raudex for, you know, giving us a, an event for them. We reached out. We really didn't. I mean, MBF let it be known. We'd love to broadcast, but but we just got these. I mean, they, they have to have, I mean, there's a lot of NBC <laughs> obligations they have that they have to address and there was just no way to address what needed to be addressed to have it over the airwaves. I went on the record last week or the week before, and I stand by my comments. I think it's the most important election in South Carolina today. I really believe that um, because a superintendent of education has some executive authorities and the ability to work with General Assembly and do what needs to be done as it relates to our, I would argue, underperformance in public education um, so we're going to have a debate Thursday night, both candidates here tomorrow and Thursday. Let's go to the phone. And I was going to say, we'll also have a video feed of the debate on Facebook Live. It'll come, I think, from the Florence County GOP Facebook page. We'll share it out. So on I got to wear live. socks. Yeah, you might want okay. to dress for television. I, I will go wear on. socks, knowing <laughs> the cameras are rolling. Let's go to the phone. Jim in Florence. Hey, Jim. Hey, good morning, guys. So, Ken, can we can we talk about what Williams didn't talk about? Sure you can. Uh, January 6th. And did he mention that? No, I, don't I don't think, think he, he did. did. So he talked about it. He screamed it for a year and a half. And I don't mean to talk about him in particular as far as that goes, but that gives us incredible insight um, to that whole narrative falling apart um, and that the, the left-wing media um, has, seen, has found that, I guess, after the primetime Hollywood production that they did just fell on deaf ears. Um, and I would imagine too, after Tuesday where Tom Rice got, um, uh, I don't, there's probably no nice way of saying what happened to Tom, I, that they've got to run cover for Liz Cheney. So I guess now they're going to try to make her into this moderate Republican who's protecting the old people of Wyoming. Um, instead of her being on the January 6th commission and standing up for the constitution, even though, you know, they don't believe in the eighth amendment, but, um, so I, I, I'll let you talk about that. But when it comes to the state superintendent of education, the qualifications are set by the general assembly, yet it's a constitutional office, but they, the qualifications are set in statute, not, and I'll, I'll have to comb through the, constitution but i don't see 
where the General Assembly has authority to set the qualifications in statute without making an amendment to the Constitution setting those qualifications. So I'll say this about the whole thing. Let's just go ahead and elect Ellen Weaver, and let's see if the, the state Supreme Court is willing to circumvent the will of the people um, by claiming some General Assembly qualification that may or may not be constitutional. But I'll, I'll do my research on that, and I'll get back with you. Thank, Thank you, Jim. I got somebody looking into that. I mean, I got a friendly at the state house that's doing some research. He's not a House member, not a senator, uh, but he's somebody who's been there a long, long time, understands the crooks and crannies of that building and the process. Uh, there's this big debate about Weaver not having a master's, and she's got to get this master's certificate to take office. Um, and then, you know, folks will say, well, how can you do that in only three or four or five or six months? There is a constitutional argument about the qualifications and who gets to basically insist uh, requirement A, B, or C is met. Um, I hope to have something uh, by Thursday because obviously that'll be a part of the debate. And when Ellen gets here tomorrow, we'll ask her, you know, what her intent is. How does she understand uh, this issue? But um, I think the Manus campaign has made that an issue. And then the, the Weaver campaign or some of the surrogates of the Weaver campaign are beginning to talk about some of the Molly Spearman, you know, using her office to advocate on behalf of one candidate, taxpayer dollars involved in the campaign. You can't do that. Um, so, so yeah, I mean, it's typical South Carolina politics. We'll find out where it goes from there. But I want to be careful and guarded. Once I realized we were hosting this debate, um, I, I want to be real fair-minded uh, about my job Thursday night. If I were not hosting a debate Thursday night, I, I would have a lot of things to say. But, but I do believe in the name of fairness and having some credibility doing a job, uh, we need to be a little more careful here about not not appearing to be favoring one candidate over another. Both of these candidates deserve um, your consideration. They've earned that right. One had 31 or 2% of the vote. The other had 23 or 4% of the vote. Um, but both candidates have earned the right for you to hear them out. And it's not my job in the next two or three days to try to steer the debate one way or another. Now, now once again, if I'm not moderating the debate, yeah, absolutely. Uh, but I am. And I think accepting that responsibility requires me to be a little more um, objective. And, uh, you know, I mean, I think I could say everything I wanted to say and still go do my job Thursday night. But but I, I just I'm funny about that. I'm real careful about doing that. Um, and, and Rev knows this. I've declined several opportunities um, to do that. I, it's kind of exciting mm -hmm. to me. And we've always I mean, Rev and I've had more conversations that he probably wants to talk about on the the effect of this show when this show is at its best. And I think Friday was a kind of an illustration uh, of why we are, or why we are, because of you making our mark. We're not a Republican bastion. I mean, we're not a place in a runoff that Republican statewide candidates would consider spending a lot of time. I mean, it's Ori, it's Greenville, it's Buford, it's Lexington, it's York. I mean, we know where the big strong, you know, strongholds of Republican voters are. But both of these candidates were willing to juggle around their scheduling, and they did. I mean, in all honesty, uh, Manus had less to, to, to navigate than Weaver did. Uh, but late Friday, we got confirmation from Weaver. And once again, not because of yours truly. I mean, we had the, uh, I mean, I, the state chairman, excuse me, the local chairman, Mike Page, reached out to me and said, basically, we think Ellen is trying, but if any, any little bit of encouragement you can give – 
and uh, and I reached out to the state party, a friendly there, and they kind of nudged her along. And by the end of the day, we had confirmation that both would be here. So in our broadcasting area, uh, and it's simply you. I mean, it's not us. I mean, rest assured, we've garnered an audience that that cares enough to be emphatic about what needs to happen or doesn't need to happen. So not in Lexington, not in York, not in Ori, not in Greenville, but in Florence. We're having a superintendent of education debate, and that's pretty encouraging to me uh, that we were able to kind of um, have the idea and see it come to fruition in as little a time as has happened. So congratulations to everybody involved in that. Um, texting and driving is dangerous on Highway 501 going to um, – <laughs> You hear that, Sonny Collins? Uh, I was not the one doing it, but I saw several folks. Glad you cleared that. I'm texting and driving in crazy traffic down around uh, Horry County. 843-661937. I want to go back to something that we discussed much earlier this morning. Um, Joe touched on this. Uh, If you don't want the chicken processing plant in Florence, we'll certainly um, oblige in Darlington County. I want to be emphatically clear, guys. Uh, I've never advocated for nor against this project. I'm still learning as we go. Um, Friday, I made a comment that are we going to kill chickens, you know, uh, a half mile from five points? Well, we found out, no, we're not. This is a poultry processing plant that includes not the killing of uh, of the, the chicken, but rather the frozen caucus getting there and it being divided, however they do that. Um, but I still think there's a very legitimate debate to be had. Um, I'm not opposed to economic development. I'm certainly not opposed to job creation. I'm, I'm not opposed to county council doing its job. I'm not opposed to county council doing some of that job without the public knowing about it. There are confidentiality reasons. And, and you know, there, there are a lot of times the council can't say exactly what they're doing because the businesses they're, you know, negotiating with have been asked uh, or have asked to keep that, you know, out of the public domain. But but once the announcement is made and there's some kind, you know, kind of confusion because we had conflicting information um, when it was when it was led, when, when a lot of people believed that the chicken processing plant was going to the economic development, uh, you know, park out on 327 and I-95. But then I read in the article some of this joint tax credits. Um, you got these distressed counties, and the distressed counties get a small percentage of the revenue generated in exchange for some of the tax credits. So when I read that, I knew that it was probably going to be listed that way because of some of the um, some of the capturing of job credits and tax credits and incentives that go along with that sort of involvement. I mean, I get all that, but but I still think it's a very legitimate debate as to whether or not that is the that that is the place that leads to responsible economic development. I mean, it's economic development. There, there's no doubt about it. But but does a Sam's belong in a neighborhood? I mean, a Sam's is an economic development project, but would you build it in a neighborhood? And I think these are questions that the public needs to have addressed and answered. And I think right now, the public is confused. Um, there were conversations on social media over the weekend. My name was included in a couple of these. Um, I am in no way, shape, or form... Um, saying I know exactly what's going on. I am I know more today than I did Friday, and I'll know tomorrow uh, more than I know today. But but you know to suggest that because we question some of these things, we're opposing economic development and we're shielding for a you know a certain group. No, I mean I'm not going to do that. I promise you. Rest assured that I'm not going to do that. 
but we still have a, a project that is a poultry processing project, and you can characterize it however you wish. It is a four iron from five points. Is that responsible economic development? Notice I didn't say that's not responsible economic development. Is that responsible economic development? Is that the highest and best use for that property? Is, is that going to affect? Have, have we dealt with congestion, egress and ingress? How much traffic study has been done? Um, what has DOT commitment been? What has the General Assembly committed to help with egress and ingress? That is a very congested area of Florence. I mean, you're nodding your head. No, you know no, how no congested Hoffmeyer and uh, Darlington Street can be, and Hoffmeyer and uh, Palmetto Street, excuse me, Evans Street can be, and it's all right there together. You've got a lot of retail businesses. You've got a lot of restaurants, you know, right there. Is that where we want to, you know, a poultry processing plant? Um, also got an article uh, over the weekend about some sanctions that this particular company, USDA sanctions that have been levied against this company. And I think the public deserves to know that. So, so it's not that we're opposed to economic development. It's not that we're saying, don't do it here. You better not do it. Here. No, I mean, we're, we're, not even, we're, we're not even approaching that yet. But we need some clarity. The public deserves clarity as to tell us the whole story. What I mean, what is the whole story? Because once again, there's a lot of confusion out there. Is it going to the Commerce Park? No. Is it going to 2901 West Darlington Street? Yes. Well, that's a big difference. I mean, a poultry processing plant in an industrial park is one thing. A poultry processing plant in a in kind of a residential retail area is a very different thing. And, and I'm sorry, that th those questions have to be asked, and I think the public deserves to have those questions answered. And right now, the people that know most are not saying very much. I mean, the people that know the skinny, they know the blood, guts, and feathers. I'm not hearing many of those folks offer up, you know, why they thought this was responsible economic development. There is no doubt it's economic development. There, there is no doubt we need jobs, that there is no doubt that a business has a right an absolute right to operate um, where the government says they can. But but the people who are elected are elected to do what? Represent the masses. Are the masses being represented in this? And um, and it cuts both ways. Uh, the, the question I'm asking, and, and I'm going to keep asking the question until somebody tells me an answer. Um, is this responsible economic development? What What is the status of? Uh, of the business, what kind of business is it? Uh, how sanitary or not is this this industry in business? Um, how are we dealing with the congestion? Uh, has DOT? I mean, does DOT have a plan? Does the city and county have a plan? Uh, how many employees are there? I think someone called Friday and said two hundred. The press release said four hundred. Is it four hundred or two hundred? Is it shift work? Uh, yeah, I mean, the, the community deserves to know these sorts of things and, and right now once again the people that know just aren't saying much and and i'm inviting anybody on this show that knows more than i do to you know call in come in and engage our listeners and the public as to what the realities and and and, and truth is about this because once again um as someone who has been on county council who understands incentives who understands you know commerce parks who understands responsible economic development. I, I think there's a legitimate case to be made that building a chicken processing plant, however, I mean, it's not a killing plant, so there's not, you know, the um, the butchering of chickens there, but I, I just think to do that where they're doing it requires a higher degree of, of answering questions. 
So there. I mean, you know, 843-661-0937 is our number. Our address is what, Rev? 20... Right here, 2423. 2423 Walker Swinton Road. Um, Please, you know, let's get on the record and let's engage our listeners and the public as to what the truth is about whether or not this is responsible economic development. Did not say it's not. I just think there has to be a conversation from those who do know why they felt this was the best and proper thing to do on behalf of the people they duly represent. Let's take a break. We'll be back in just a minute. 843-661-0937 takes Mondays to make Fridays. I'm just trying to figure out this, the, the, the poultry processing plant deal. There's just a little confusion around what it. What is the confusion from, from your perspective? Well, first, the location was okay. a confusion. There was something that was printed, I think, in the official press release and maybe a, in a media outlet had a, had a different location. But I think you've addressed that, the, the tax credit. Thing that may be affecting that um but you would think and, and and we mentioned this on the show it's actually job credits job credits yep, job okay. credits job credits okay um but late in the show on friday we kind of made this just made a few comments about this smart alecky well it's it, smart alecky. Anyway, you yeah. didn't i did <laughs> but but we we got a lot of response immediately because and, and it's probably because of the confusion but i think that that as the when there's a little confusion around it I mean, that does kind of put your antennas up. It does for me. People are so, well, I mean, people are so suspicious of government now anyway. You know what I mean? What's the government telling me? Right. You know, I mean, it's it's the nature of Americans today to not believe their government's telling them the whole story. But you wonder, why is there something to hide there? And if so, what and and why? And I don't have any idea. And we didn't insinuate anything. I mean, we we candidly (laughs) admit it. And and because we are for economic development. Jobs, great. 200 jobs, great. 400 jobs, greater. And for someone who knows everything like me, I mean, (laughs) you don't think it's hard for me to say I don't know? And I said, I don't know what they're doing. I don't know where it's going. I don't know how many jobs. I don't know whether it's at a Commerce Park or at 2901 West Darlington Street. I mean, I, I was very clear, I thought, about not knowing but, but it did, I mean, as a former politician who has been to the county level and state level, it, it just, it, it seemed to me that it lacked clarity. You, you've got one address listed. You've got another address listed. The other address, 2901 West Darlington Street, is in a pretty densely populated area. I mean, it's just, it's not the place you would expect. Well, let me ask you this. You know where the building is. You know where the property is. Mm-hmm. Is that where you would expect a chicken processing plant? Nope. I mean, that would be a very odd place right. for a chicken processing plant. So when I saw the announcement out by the the Niagara Bottling Company in the Commerce Park, I said, well, that makes perfect sense. You know, that's where those things go. And, and then I saw another article. Someone sent me an article saying, no, it's at 2901 West Darlington Street. I Googled Earth. It took me there. And I'm like, that's that's pretty different. I mean, that's, you know, and that's when I, in the most smart alecky way imaginable, said, you know, it's a half mile from Five Points. Is that what we want to do a half mile from five points? I mean, are we comfortable with a chicken processing plant? Um, now, now, once again, the, the thing we do have clarity on, and I, I'm pretty confident it is, it is not a, there is no killing. I mean, the frozen carcass is brought in, the frozen carcass is brought in, and it, it's it's subdivided. It's cut into whatever, I mean, however they process the poultry, um, what sort of sanitation requirements are there? Water, sewer, but, but the main problem I see is 400 employees, and we know how congested that area is. 
with ingress and egress. And that's the only point I try to make. You know, if this is where it is, what is the plan to address the congestion? If there is smell, is there is sanitation issues, um, wastewater, what is the plan? To, I think the public deserves to know that. I mean, that's not being a troublemaking radio show host. I mean, I can do that, rest assured. Um, but, but I, in no way, shape, or form, am trying to, to be a troublemaker here, nor a rabble-rouser. Um, I'm just simply trying to um, speculate on what questions the public would probably have and, and, and deserve to know. So, so there, I mean, you know, to, to your point, you're a little bit confused. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm a little bit confused. And, uh, you know, the one question I have clarity on is we're not going to kill chickens, but, but we are going to process chickens. So what is the nature of that business and how disruptive could it potentially be to that little area, which is, I think you would agree, very unique to that sort sort of business. And, you know, I would just encourage someone who knows more than I do, you know, let's let's talk about it. Let's see. Uh, the public deserves to know. Uh, that's the yeah. point I'm trying to The public deserves to know, you know, what we're doing, what kind of business it is, and what the county and city and state's plan is in relating uh, to, to and all the all of the logistics that go along with running that sort of um that sort of business. Let's go to the phone. Here's Steve in Florence. Good morning, Steve. Good morning, guys. See, I live over by Five Points, and I'm a truck driver. And the last thing I want to do when I get off work is sit in more traffic and not get paid for it. But when I used to deliver to gas stations, you know, they used to build those places, you know, for cars to get in and out of. They barely ever or rarely ever build them for you know a truck to get in there and um, do their delivery. So I'm wondering how the, the area is going to be with you got all these 53-foot trailers rolling through there and then all the lights, how tight it's going to be, and then, you know, sitting behind the semi. I'm trying to get home from work, and I'll take that up here. Thank you, sir. Appreciate that. Um, once again, all, we're speculating. This could be the tidiest, neatest um, you know, and, and, and employees are rotating in out every two or three hours. Um, but, but I, I just feel I have an obligation and I think my obligation is to, you know, pursue the truth. And I mean, this is not an opinion. I mean, this is an opinion radio show and 99% of what you get is an opinion. And I have an opinion. I mean, I have an opinion. You want my opinion? Mm-hmm. I'm going I'm to I'm give the benefit of the doubt to those who made the decision. My opinion is, um, it makes me nervous to know that we're processing poultry half mile from five points that makes me nervous um that's my opinion change my mind tell me why i don't need to have that opinion tell me why i don't need to be concerned about processing chicken a half mile from five points that's the point i think a lot of people could be convinced that this is the right thing to do but but nobody knows the truth once again conflicting addresses um you know is it what what sort of uh, business is it what sort of plant do they run um what what sort of sanitation requirements are going to be. I just think there, there's a lot of unknowns here that the public deserves to know. And I'm not accusing anybody of anything. The one thing I learned as an elected official, if you have a problem being questioned, resign, find something else to do. I mean, some politicians don't believe the public has a right to question why they do what it is they do. I mean, if you believe that, then find something else to do because you don't need to be in politics. I think it is very natural for people to question why politicians vote the way they do and and stand behind some of the decisions they make. And um, so, so there, you know, um, we live in kind of a news desert. I, I mean that sincerely, and, and it's kind of unfortunate that we live 
in a news desert. We're not the news. We're not the media. But but occasionally we um we hear these things and we pursue these things. And there seemed to be enough energy Friday on this story to to kind of advance us being involved. But once again, I want to make crystal clear. Well, me, there's there's just some questions that need to be answered because there's confusion. That's it. And Do like you, you said, know be- any more today than you knew Friday? No. Well, I mean, the only thing I know is we're not killing chickens. And we learned that Friday. We, we learned that Friday. It is a it is a processing. In other words, the, the carcass is brought. It's processed. Not now, you know, what sort of process? Don't know. And well, you learned about the, the job credits. Sure. And the way that that's why there could be a conflicting But I kind of knew that. I mean, once I heard that 2901 uh, West Darlington Street was the location, I just put my form, my county count. I mean, that's, I just know how some of the joint credits work. You got these distressed counties, Williamsburg and, and Marion County. You can farm out some, or you can basically import some of the credits and export some of the fee in lieu of. I mean, it gets a little bit complicated, but we got attorneys that drop contracts in these multi-county industrial parks and multi-county industrial deals. But all of these things go down, you know, but I guess I have some familiarity with that. So I'm not alarmed by that. The The only thing I find concerning is, once again, this is G.I. Joe with the Kung Fu Grip, processing chicken one half a mile from five points. That seems odd to me. Change my mind. I mean, tell me, Ken, there's nothing to be worried about. There's nothing to be concerned about. Here's what here's what we're going to do with egress and ingress. Here's what DOTs agree to do. Here's what the county and city have worked uh to do here is water and sewer. Uh, nothing is here. Here's the um. Here's a sanitation plan. Here's the um. Uh, the 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 byproduct. I mean, what happens to the byproduct uh, from some of these plants? Uh, it may be we may have all those questions answered, and, and there may have been due diligence after due diligence after due diligence. Um, let's just have that conversation so the public can better understand it, especially. Um, those who have retail businesses or residential homes that are within uh, a pitching wedge uh, of where this plant will be. It's, it's, I just think those are not, not alarming. I mean, I'm certainly not suggesting I'm alarmed by it, but, but I'm a little bit concerned that we don't have a little more clarity on some of the particulars and realities. And I'm a little bit concerned that the public was not in the mix when some of these decisions are made. The public doesn't get to decide where things go, I mean, that's not. But the public does need to be made aware of something. To me, of something like this, because that is a bit unusual and out of the norm. When you step away from a commerce park, where we know that's where business goes, when we have these layers of separation from property owners and commercial interest, this is just a little bit more unique than that. Once again, not alarmed, not 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 being obstinate, not trying to be difficult. Let's just have some questions answered so we, the public, can have some clarity and then move on. 400 jobs is a great reason to celebrate. Yeah, it is. And, um, and I hope we can celebrate with a certain degree of comfort in our hearts. Take a break. Back in a minute. 843-661-0937. Mike gets a call during the break. I don't want to put it in uh, I mean, a little bit confrontational, Mike. Is that fair to say? Uh, a little bit, not much, but a little bit. I mean, you're from Freehold. I mean, you're, you're, I mean, you're accustomed <laughs> to being confrontational. But uh, someone who said they were the owner of the company called in, or a representative of the company, I think, called in and uh, invited, uh, what, us out to the site to look, look at the business. I, I don't have a beef with the business. I don't know the business's name. I mean, I have no right. idea what the name of the company is. I, I'm just saying a, 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 a chicken processing plant 
a half mile from five points deserves the public input. I mean, you know, I'm getting a text here just now about water and sewer. An adjacent property owner wants to know what sort of effect or impact does it have on water and sewer. I mean, to suggest the public doesn't have a right to know answers to these questions is absurd. I mean, that's bizarre to me. Um, I don't know the company's name. I have no idea what sort of track record they have of uh, being a corporate citizen or doing exactly what they say they're going to. I really don't care. Um, I don't have a beef with anybody. I just think those who are elected have an obligation to engage the public in helping them better understand what the practical realities are. Um, I'm worried about water and sewer capacity for normal things we do. Uh I certainly would like more information. Appreciate what, what, you engaging. Basically, what is the impact the debate. on the public? Sure. I mean, that, I mean, and to, and to suggest that we can't have that debate without yeah. being opposed. I mean, nobody's opposed anything. No. Once again, I don't know the name of the company. I have no idea what the name of the company is. I have no idea how long they've been in business. Are they local? Are they national? Is it is it a franchise or not? We substantiated one fact, we think, and that is there will be no killing of chickens. That's a good thing. That really worried me if we had some sort of killing facility a half mile from five points. But to suggest we can't have an honest debate about whether or not it's responsible economic development. That's the word I use, responsible economic development to have a processing plant, a poultry processing plant, a half mile from five points. I'm not going to stop asking that question. That is a, a very legitimate question that everybody should want to know the answer to. And I've got an adjacent landowner texting me now saying, I don't know anything. I mean, what is the water and sewer burden? What what are the, and these, look, this is not the business owner's job. I mean, the business owner didn't run for office. I mean, the business owner made a deal with the local government. The local government agreed to do X, Y, and Z. So, I mean, I don't have a beef with anybody, but even if I had a beef, guess who's at the bottom of that list? The business owner. I mean, I want you to do well. I hope every piece of chicken that gets processed in America comes from Florence, South Carolina. I, and I mean that sincerely. I hope he is more successful than you ever imagined. I think I hope 200 turns into 400 jobs, 400 turns into 800 jobs, and, you know, it, they monopolize the chicken market. I mean, and I mean that sincerely. I grew up in the private sector. I am not at all opposed to the business owner trying to do what is in his um, capitalist best interest. But I think the government has a responsibility to engage the public and inform the public about what its intense motivations and realities and practicalities are. So, so to the business owner, uh, that we, nobody here has a beef with anybody there. You didn't run for office. <laughs> you know, you didn't ask the public to elect you to make deals on behalf of the taxpayer. Um, you are involved and in, in a story that may not even be controversial, that there may be perfect answers, mm-hmm. that there may be every I dotted and every T crawl. Sure. Unbelievably. I mean, somebody could sit down in 10 minutes and explain every question we have. But to suggest these questions are invalid or unwarranted, no, that they're very, they're very reasonable questions to expect answers from not the business owner. The business owner has no obligation to explain himself to the public. The elected officials do, and that's all we're asking. Somebody explain, you know, the realities and, and intricacies of this deal. And I understand you got um, non-disclosures. I understand in some of that, in some of those dealings, you, you got to be very um, private and confidential about it. But 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 a lot of this can be explained in a way that the public says, "Oh, okay, I get it now. I understand now. Um, good." 
That that's exceptional that we have 400 more jobs. But right now we don't have those questions answered. Let's go to the phone. Here's Rodney in Florence. Good morning, Rodney. Hey guys, I hope y'all had a good Father's Day. I had a great one. Love the show. I worked 30 years in local government. And if my planning department would have done some of the stuff they've done in Florence, people's head would be on the chopping block. And I'll take it off there. Thank you, Rodney. Appreciate that. I have no idea uh, how involved planning was in any of this. Uh, zoning. I don't have any idea what the zoning designation is of that area. Uh, did they get a zoning designation change? Was there was, was a request made that the planning commission follow through with any of this? I mean, you know, I kind of know how that world works. I just don't know much about how it worked with this particular deal. I stand by the comments. The question is, is it or is it not responsible economic development? That's the question we have, and I think the public deserves answers. Back in a minute. 843-661-0937 is our number last hour of this Monday morning edition. I'll be honest with you. I didn't pay. I mean, I normally don't pay a lot of attention to the political scene uh, during the week. I paid even less um, this week, except uh, Breeze got me all stirred up with BlackRock, and I started really going down the road of BlackRock. Um, local business, big business, we're all talking about you know things we know and things we speculate. There's some things we know, some things we don't know, and some things we offer speculation and conjecture. And sometimes when you ask these questions and point these things out, it can be perceived as being against something or another. And there have been issues before that, that we've taken a position uh, in particular against a particular uh, proposal, we'll say. Um, this isn't one of them. We've never no, said the word. Not this. at you all. You haven't said that, have you? No. In fact, I want it to work. I mean, I want to make sure it works. I want it to, um, I want it to be good for Florence. I mean, I, I love economic development. I love jobs. I love to see people do better today than they did yesterday. Um, but but people began sending me text uh, Friday, and I started exploring a little bit and couldn't find any answers. And, um, and I, you know, we'll get there. I mean, we'll get there together. Um, I just think the people that made this decision need to explain to the public why they made this decision and why they believe it's in the community's best interest. I'm not opposed at all. I have never said I oppose this. Um, there are just questions out there that I think we deserve to have answered. Um, do we have a call? Uh, yes, we have Florence County Councilman Kent Cottle. Well, there is on the you line go. There's, there, there's somebody willing to call in and try to explain uh, the county's position. Good morning, Councilman. How are you? I'm great. I hope y'all are. We are doing well. We just uh you've heard the show a little bit of the show this morning. You texted me a few moments ago, um, and I thank you and applaud you for calling in to try to explain the county's position on this. So I'll get out of the way and and let you kind of um tell us what it is you you guys are doing. Well, uh, number one, this this is not a kill operation. They don't they don't bring them in live and and slaughter them. This there's no uh, <laughs> there's no uh, eyeballs, guts, or feathers. There'll be some. They bring in chicken breast and separate the bone uh, from the breast. They, you know, send out the breast. They package them and ship them. Uh, they uh, they can make chicken fingers or tenders and uh, whole chicken breast, and that's a that's the basis of their operation. So, like I say, there's no feathers. It's not a kill operation. A uh, little history on this property where they are. This was originally Thomas and Howard Distribution Grocery Distribution Center. Of course, in that area, uh, you have uh, Delmar Oil Company. You have uh, you 
have rider truck rental and several other businesses in that general vicinity. Um, and this place uh, met all the requirements. This location did. And uh, it's, it's local people. Um, and it's 400, not just uh, transfer jobs. These are 400 people who are unemployed in this area will have an opportunity to go to work here. Um, I, I don't see it as being bad. Is it is it a perfect location? Mm, that's debatable. But I think it's something that's going to be very good uh, for Florence, Florence County. The road does need widening. Uh, that's been discussed. Um, I can't recall whether it's been approved, whether it's on a drawing board, or whether it's just something else to, that particularly could, could come up in the future, which I hope it is. And, and I am almost positive, Ken, that Darlington Street is a state road. It's not a city or county road. Okay. There and, are some... and, the, uh, and the city of Florence was involved in this, you know, as far as water and sewer is concerned, and they told them they would supply what they needed um, you know, to handle their operation. Um, so I don't think it's be anything covert about it. Uh, I, I actually know, I found out this morning, actually Friday I found out one of the principals who I've been knowing for a long time, and one of the other principals, um, I mean, he, he grew up over in Atlanta, uh, been knowing he says college days, and they run, they have an operation now, they run a good operation, and I, I think it'll be good for the county. Kent, when it comes to egress and ingress, what sort of discussions have there been about 400 employees are going in and out of there every day? Th- that would be a little bit concerning to me. Not alarming, but concerning. Where are we at in um, potentially addressing some of that shortfall or deficit? Well, and, and that's what I was just addressing. That There's been discussion of widening Darlington Street, but it's a state road, so we got to get the state to do that. Um, and I hopefully hopefully they'll go along with that. You know, you got a railroad right away there um, that could part of that be used. Of course, it's privately owned, and uh, but it could be purchased, and there's plenty of room there to widen it, and nobody would be displaced by it. No homes, no businesses, no anything else would be displaced by that widening of that section of Darlington Street. I'm on I'm on Darlington Street now. I just rode by the place. I happen to be out in West Florence. Just rode by there. Um, construction is underway. The building is there. Been there for. Uh, eons, not eons, but I mean, when, when I was in college, a lot of my friends worked at Thompson Howard, uh, and I suspect the traffic going in there will be uh, early morning uh, traffic. That's generally the way the food business runs. They go, they go in uh, before breakfast, as we say in the country, and they they get out of there probably, you know, three o'clock, two or three o'clock, four o'clock in the afternoons. Kent, is it the building at the corner of Hoffmeyer and um, and Darlington, or is it a building or two back down Darlington Street? Well, it's just actually one building back. It's kind of uh, it's, it's behind a little bit, but but kind of adjacent to what used to be S and W Manufacturing. Okay, uh, I think that, I think the prior uh, tenant in this building was uh, American Specialty Office Products. Um, and there may have been some rental, since that's gone away, there could have been some rental tenants in there, some storage facilities, things like that for other industry. You know, maybe, I don't know, Honda, maybe QVC. I don't know who was in there. Uh, even though I'm in the real, commercial real estate business, I don't know who was in there because uh, we didn't we didn't have a connection with that. But somebody was in it um, because we called one time, uh, had a client that, that needed some storage space, and it wasn't available in full. 
Good deal. And the, and the council, I would imagine, was unanimous in supporting um, this particular agreement. It was, and it came to us with uh, unanimous support from the planning and zoning uh, com- committee that we have. I think it was a seven to nothing uh, vote in favor of. Truck traffic, did we did we address, or was there any understanding of what the potential truck traffic would be in and out of there? Well, but before, SW Manufacturing had a lot of truck traffic in there. Thompson Howard truck traffic, rider truck rental truck traffic. Um, you know, it could be improved, much improved, and I, I hope we'll get that done in the near future. Okay. Councilman Kent Calder, thank you, my man. Appreciate you calling in. Okay, thank you. There's a um, there, there's an explanation. You take it for what it's worth, but um, the council, the planning is only was unanimous in its approval. Um, the council was unanimous in its approval. So it's one building back from the corner of Hoffmeyer and Darlington. In other words, you've got the Palmetto Peddler and the building connected there. It used to be, I think, S&W Manufacturing. Maybe all that building was S&W Manufacturing. Thomas and Howard was one building back, and there'll be a, um, a chicken, not a kill facility, but a chicken processing plant and um, there with 400 on Kent uh, basically went on the record, 400 employees. And they've discussed with the state about making some improvements to uh, West Darlington. Uh, I guess I can reach out to some of our uh, legislators to find out where that is. Um, where is there any extra money? What sort of um, right away procurement will be involved in that? I mean, th- this is kind of what we're doing. We're trying to, um, and so the, the question kind of defers to the city planners about uh, infrastructure for water and sewer, then, I think. Is what I, I would imagine that. I mean, the water and sewer needs were met in this local property um, and meet all the requirements. Um, I still believe there's a fair debate. And, and this is where I can become, I mean, you could perceive me to be against something when I say this. But I think we all, I think elected officials, I don't, you, you don't have an obligation. I don't, Mike Dutton. Um, but I think elected officials have an obligation to make a determination as to whether it's responsible economic development. I still think that is the uh, the criteria. Um, you know, does it meet zoning and planning and all these water and sewer? Yeah, it does. Um, is it still good for the community to do this? Um, and we saw this recently on the other side of five points with a donut hole, you know, that was, uh, I think, the county now involved in a lawsuit about, a you know, a low-income housing uh, I, I just think th- these are questions elected officials should be willing to answer. And I applaud Councilman Caldwell for calling in and saying, you know, this is what the realities are. And and I want to be crystal clear. We've never opposed anything like this. Um, when I oppose something, you'll know it. I mean, we opposed the school board referendum because I thought it was a bad idea. I thought it was middle of the night, uh, largest tax increase in the history of Florence County in February. I mean, I think there was a reason. I don't, I don't oppose this at all. I just want to engage the community and allow them to better understand what it is um, because I think this is a very unique um, situation. And I think Ken said, is it the perfect place? Probably not. Um, but it met the criteria and the council made a decision. The planning and zoning made a decision to allow this to happen. Um, and then you get into some of these job credit incentives and whatnot. And, you know, 400 jobs is a lot of jobs. I stand by my comment from earlier. Um, I have genuine concern about egress and ingress. Um they're working at the facility now. That means they'll be probably operational sooner than later. There's no way the infra, the, you know, the improvements will be made. The infrastructure between now and then, um, you know, when when can we expect that road to be improved? 
Um, what if there is far more congestion there than we ever imagined? But I, once again, that's not being opposed to anything. That's just walking through some of the questions that I think the public deserves to have answers to. And I applaud Councilman Caudill for calling in and offering and not his side of the story, but um, but why he supported uh, what he supported. And I can't say whether I would or would not have. I mean, I'm not privy to the information. I don't have all the uh, all the knowledge they had when they made this decision. But but once again, the fundamental argument I'm making, um, is it good or not? Is it responsible economic development or not? In other words, will, will 400 employees devalue anybody else's property um, at a chicken processing plant? It's still a, it's a poultry processing plant. Now, if I were going to be opposed, this is all you would hear. It's a poultry processing plant, you know, a half mile from five points. I mean, it, you know, just theoretically, that sounds like, um, wow, not so good. Uh, but but there's a lot more involved here. And, and these are the things that I think we should have frank, candid conversations about. Some people may not like that. Some people wish things were done, you know, in the middle of the night with the public not being engaged. I, I just don't think that's the way to do uh, these things. And I did when I was on, uh, when I was elected official, I thought, you know, the, the less the public knows, the better. Really? The, well, I mean, but no, but seriously. I mean, you know, and, and we have, uh, I think, uh, garnered some of the respect. I mean, I don't think elected officials believe we're here to blindside anybody. I mean, maybe maybe there's one or two out there that think we've been unfair. But I think for the most part, elected officials would argue, I mean, they, they've got a job to do and they do it. We try to be fair. We try to report accurately. That's why Friday, what did we say over and over again? We don't know. No. We don't know. We're trying to find out. Um, Kent texted me about 15 minutes ago and said, I'll certainly call in and explain uh, the best I can. Uh, but Kent doesn't speak for the council. Kent Caldwell speaks for himself. Um, that's the way he feels about it. But planning and zoning approved it. The council approved it. And there's work being done in that building. Um, my next step for the public, not for me personally, but for the public, is to reach out to somebody in the General Assembly uh, to find out what the plan is for the road. Because that's always been my major concern. I think modern manufacturing and modern, even in the chicken business, you know, or, or any other sort of agribusness, uh, there, they, there's a, an automated, advanced, and technologically advanced way we do things now. I mean, it's not like the, you know, the wild, wild west of 50 years ago. I mean, it's a very unique animal now. But I still have concerns about egress and ingress. You know, when do all those people go to work? When do all those people uh, leave work? And how does that, you know, kind of um, intermix with everybody else at an already real, real busy um, interchange? We shall see. I don't have the answer to that. Nobody does. But we will, in the short run, find out whether or not this works, as our elected officials hope it would. But congratulations on a growing business, a local business done good. Congratulations on 400 jobs. And thanks to Councilman Caudill for calling in and offering up his, not side of the story, but but why he believes it's in our best interest. Take a break. Back in a minute. 843-661-0937 is our number Monday morning. I do want to mention before we get, uh, uh, we got 30 minutes here. Um, the International Swimming Federation, it's called um, FINA, F-I-N-A, announced a new policy on Sunday to ban biological male athletes who have gone through male puberty from competing in women's competitions, when you read, it's almost like everything's the Babylon B. I mean, it's everything's right. the Babylon B. Um, uh, to qualify for women's competitions, 
The swimmers must either have never gone through male puberty or had male puberty suppressed at the stage when physical changes begin to appear or before the age of... I mean, these are rules. These are... I mean, to go to swim meet. I mean, imagine, are you a dude or a girl? Okay, one line over here, one line over there. Um, it looks to me like you're a woman. Um, your your swim meet is in this pool. Okay, you're a dude. You're No, I mean, we, we can't do that any longer. Um, so when someone shows up, I guess a representative of the International Swimming Federation um, begins asking these qualifying questions. And one is, um, have you ever gone through male puberty? Um, have you had puberty suppressed at any point in time in your life? Um, when physical changes began to appear, where it, was it before or after the age of 12? Um, and this is policy. <laughs> I mean, this is not Saturday you, you Night Live. you think it was satire. I mean, you would. I mean, this is the Babylon better. B meet Saturday Night Live. No, this is real. On the same weekend, the man fell off the bicycle. <laughs> My man fell off a bicycle. The president of the United States wearing a George Jeff Jetson hat fell off of a bicycle in front of a gaggle of reporters. And I mean, the media just like, like nothing to see here. I mean, it's just bizarre to me. Yeah, I mean, Donald Trump uh, walked down a ramp, uh, you know, kind of unsure-footed, and they've gone on about that for years. Well, I mean, Gerald Ford is always known as the guy, right. you know, that, that fell True. down. Uh, but he didn't have this doofusy-looking hat on. I mean, I see why Biden wears a hat now. Because he's, I mean, he's a threat to himself, no question. You know, you could honestly he be debate. wearing that hat when he walks up the steps of Air Force One couple times yeah. he's tripped going up those well, I mean, steps. You, you can honestly debate, but nothing looks as goofy as a man falling on a bicycle, right? I mean, nothing looks as, as weak, weak and uh, wimpy. Feeble. Yeah. I mean, a, a dude falling on a bicycle. And uh, you got to believe this, this. I mean, this, the Secret Service has to be like, hey, I'm not getting that close because he'll fall on me. You know what I mean? He'll <laughs> drag me to the ground. But I mean, this is where we are. And, and, and here's what's even more bizarre to me. You ready? There's a certain percentage of the country that still believe they did the right thing. One of the great mistakes this nation has made in recent time, we've made a lot. I mean, we get more wrong than we get right on average or in the aggregate. But but one of the great mistakes this nation made was not electing Donald Trump, not reelecting Donald Trump. Um, you can you can talk all about his demeanor and his bombast and his, and his narcissism. Trump was a competent man who had a clear vision of what he believed. Um, did he get in his own way? Yes. Did he say things we wish he got? Yes. Did, did he act and behave in a, in a way that may or may not have disparaged the presidency? Was he irreverent? Uh, yes. I mean, all narcissistic beyond belief. But, but he had his cognitive capacities about him. He understood uh, what he was talking about when, when, he, when he counseled or when he met with, 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 with senior members of his staff. Um, he kind of told them what he believed was best, and, and they probably played off one another. You, you got to believe that Biden just sits there and and, and kind of takes directive on whatever his staff says, whatever his, his teleprompter says. You remember um, Rice even said, Congressman Rice on our show, when we had the one-hour interview, even Congressman Rice says, I don't believe Biden is calling the shots. Um, and Rice, you know, is no friend of the president or former President Trump. But he said, you know, I just don't, I think it's probably his chief of staff or some of the Obama surrogates involved in his campaign. But, but what message does it send to the world 
when there's a gaggle of reporters waiting at kind of an odd place. It looked to me like a pretty reasonable place to st- stop or slow down. Kind of a, a turn. You know, they were coming. I think it was one, a setup for a fo- of photo op. it was. Making the 80-year-old president, who there's some questions about his ability to, to walk and talk right, to make him look young and vigorous. He's riding a bike on his vacation. So and then, pull up to the reporters and... And then my man fell on the bike. Um, my... My, it might have been my oldest son. I mean, one of my one of my boys told me about it. We were at the beach together, and he said, "Hey, you seen this?" I said, "No, what?" And he showed me on TikTok or one of those I don't know Instagram something. I mean, they got like a hundred apps, and and they laugh at me because I don't have any of them. <laughs> but he said, um, "I'm looking and I'm going like, is that real?" He said, "Yeah, that's you know, just <laughs> he stops the bike and he like just all of a sudden just stumbles over." Mm-hmm. Um, anyway. Uh, and, of course, the explanation was his foot got caught in the pedal strap or something. So, he's, I guess his foot was strapped to the pedal. And he tried to put it down and fell on over yeah. because his foot was stuck in the pedal, <laughs> I guess. And, if, and it, I mean, you, you laugh to keep from crying. Mm. I mean, you really and truly do. But but I'm, I'm there is no question in my mind that when we look back, and, and, and yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll give Trump the demerits where he deserves. I mean, we will. And most of those are, are self-inflicted. But but he was coherent. He was cognitively alert. Um, he took test after test to check, you know, his cognitive capacities. Remember, they, they would talk about adults at the White House. I mean, does this really look like the guy who is the adult in charge? I mean, really and truly, when you look at Biden, I get you don't like Trump, and I understand that. But it's hard for me to believe there's still an element within our population that believes they did the right thing. They purged the system of the dangerous Donald Trump in preference to a guy mm. who literally, who literally can't ride a bike. And the, um, and the added bonus is you get $5 a gallon gasoline. Your prices on everything are way up. Yep. Oh, yeah. Mm. Well, we did the right thing. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go to the vote. I mean, I'm laughing because I want to cry. I know. I mean, I want to scream and yell and uh, anyway, cuss. Uh, and we've done enough <laughs> of that. Oh, yeah, no cussing. Here is MFR in Florence. Morning. Good morning. So, hey, just to add something to that, this is not why I'm calling in. Um, if anybody was watching, Trump spoke for an hour and 37 minutes over the weekend with no teleprompter. The only other person probably in our lifetime that could have pulled that off was Bill Clinton. And whether or not I like him or not, he was an excellent uh, politician. Um, Obama couldn't pull that off. Biden certainly couldn't pull it off. He gets a teleprompter and goes off script within two minutes at best. So, but, I mean, it's pretty amazing to watch, uh, you know, I, I don't recall how old Trump is, 76 or whatever he is. Um, you know, he's a few years younger than Biden. But, I mean, the guy's on his game. And, I mean, he just took off and ran with it. But but, but that aside, uh, let's go back to the, uh, the, the, the chicken killing uh, or processing plant. Uh, Ken, you are a Jeffersonian private rights person. Um, question for you. Uh, the, the little donut hole at Five Points was a government-slash-private entity, whatever you want to call it. And I, I get why people would have a problem with that as well as it being government. Um, that adds another layer to it. But if we're talking about private property owners selling to private uh, entities that, that plan on creating jobs and bettering the community, um, what is the difference? And I'm not... I'm not saying I'm for or against. I'm just saying, what is the difference between when we had a dollar general trying to come to the west side of Florence, which would provide goods and services 
for um, a, a population um, that is growing as well as retired and is on fixed incomes. And while some may have a disdain for DG, uh, they offer some products at a really good price. And if you get the right one set up, uh, it's actually very nice. Uh, if you go to Lexington, for instance, um, which is what I understood that one was going to be, or very much mirrored after, um, it's it's very nice. But you've got, in one instance, you've got the county telling a private entity they can't sell property, even though it was zoned for it, and they changed the zoning uh, in the middle of the night. <laughs> and then you've got another place that's selling property, and, you know, it's okay. Where, where there's, a, there's a dichotomy there that doesn't add up. Well, there's a, a hypocrisy and inconsistency. I mean, that's exactly what it is. And as a Jeffersonian libertarian, when you start delving into the, you know, the, the dealings of government, you find yourself conflicted um, because you believe property rights are exclusive to the property owner. I mean, that, that's kind of the Jeffersonian mindset. But, but I do believe there's a counterbalance, what's good for the community. That has to be given some consideration. Now, now, do I believe there are inconsistencies in some people about how they felt on one side of five points and how they feel on another? Absolutely there is. But, but I, the, the only thing I ask is that people who owe explanations to the public are willing to explain themselves. Well, I don't think they did a very good job in the other one. And I'm not for or against. I understand. I don't have a dog in that fight. I'm sure. not even on that side of town. However, I found it quite fascinating that now all of a sudden it's great. We're going to put, you know, 400 people coming. And I'm assuming there's going to be three shifts. And I know we keep saying 400 people. But I wouldn't imagine they're all coming and going at one time. I would suspect that it's probably 24-hour you know, shifts, and you probably broke up around 125, you know, 130 people coming and going on eight-hour shifts, I would imagine. I don't know. I mean, we'll find out, I guess. But um, that is a very um, congested area already with it five points. You've got West Florence, the Super Walmart dumping out uh, on Hoffmeyer, as well as Windsor Forest and Grove Park. Um, and, you know, whatever. I mean, it is. I mean, it's just a congested area. No matter how you look at it, it's going to get more congested now. Now you're going to have big 18-wheelers turning out, I'm assuming, trying to get back to 95 and 20, whichever way they go. They go to 52 or they go back towards uh, the, the mall, uh, whichever way they go. But I, I'm assuming they're going to have to distribute that product they're making. Um, and, and, and here again, I don't want to sound like I'm for one, but I don't think you're going to have mass amounts of 18-wheelers and 400 people coming out on Pine Needles Road for where the other place was going. Um, that seems a tad odd, but, you know, anyway. So I, I got you. I mean, I hear you loud and clear. I mean, you're, 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 you're talking about hypocrisy. There's a, there's a touch of sarcasm in his gall, and I respect sarcasm. I'm a big fan of sarcasm <laughs> when, when properly, <laughs> when properly ascribed or assigned. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm known to be sarcastic a bit in my life. You know, I'm actually getting a text now from the business owner. Uh, and and I, once again, I don't have, I've never had a beef with the business owner. I don't have a beef with anybody. I just think a public official owes an explanation of why or why not they've been consistent or inconsistent. And, and if the county um, worked overtime to make sure they stopped the, the low-income housing project on one side of um, five points, but blessed and encouraged and incentivized an economic development project on the other, I mean, I get the 400 jobs. But, but you, get, you know, I think when you – and this goes back to being an elected official. This is why most people don't like it. They don't want to be one. Um, you don't like to be asked questions because when you're asked questions, um, the public deserves answers. 
And and I remember when I was an elected official, um, w- when the media's there, and, and this is back in the old days. I mean, I got sworn in in 2004 uh, to county council. got elected in four, got sworn in in five. I mean, there were still some reporters, some beat reporters that were there. And after the meeting, they'd walk up and ask you to explain your vote. So, so you had to be a little bit ready to explain why you did that. Um, I, I don't want to say we're the only show in town, but we seem to be the only one that kind of um, probes a little bit into these sorts of things. Um, but, but you know, if, if somebody is an elected official have any problem or has any problem with what we've done for the last two or three days, that's their problem, not mine. I mean, I don't have any apologies at all to make for raising awareness and shining a little bit of a light on what I think is a little bit of a controversial issue. The previous caller saying uh, a little bit inconsistent and some of the way they addressed one issue and not another issue. And um, I, I just think that the, the public deserves explanations on these sorts of issues. Let's go to the phone. Talkie Mike. Hey, Mike. Hey, guys. What's going on? Hey, Mike. Um, real quick on that. I don't think – I don't really think that's going to be quite as bad as um, as what you might think. You remember all the protests? I mean, massive amount of protests and groups that protested the Walmart right across from West Florence. And turns out that's really not so bad in, unless it's around Christmas time. So, anyway, but back to, back to Biden. That's what I called about. It, well, here's what gets me. It makes me just shake my head and giggle, and it pisses me off all at the same time is the way the mainstream media just just falls all over themselves to come up with all kind of excuses to cover for Biden in everything that he does that all normal, rational people look at and say, wow, that's terrible. And they come up with, oh, his shoelace got caught. And all. he's riding a bicycle with stirrups in it. Well, that was their that was their big, you know, mistake there. And he just didn't take his foot out of the stirrup. Just he's never ridden that bicycle, and and it's it's that's that's not having the ability to rationally think about everything that's going on and what you're doing. And he falls over, and I've heard everybody in the world on mainstream media side make excuses for him. Now we'll never get over that until the mainstream media stops doing that. So here's my little question for you: I've heard that CNN has new owners, and they're they're making a push to bring CNN back to where they used to be, which is, let's just report the news. Um, there's a rumor that Brian Seltzer is on his way out, like could be within days or within the next week. So what do you know about that, and what's your opinion on what CNN's doing? And I'll hang up and drive down 95 toward Charleston listening to you on the app. Thank you, Mike. Appreciate it. That's an interesting question. CNN built a brand, and the brand was mainstream news. And it was always the wink and a nod of liberal leaning. I mean, you know, most people accept that the the media is genuinely leaning to the left. But CNN found an audience. I mean, they they, they basically geared their entire programming as a never-Trump, anti-Trump movement. And there was an appetite in America amongst so many millions of people who despised this guy the day he got there, and CNN preyed upon those emotions. But I remember saying, um, CNN wants Trump to get beat, but the moment he gets beat, you know, they'll they'll fire half their employees or lay half their employees off. Regret it, um, and and uh, Z- Jeff Zucker, who was the chairman of um, CNN, or the president of CNN, was replaced 
Um, now, a lot of this says sexual harassment. I still believe it was some of that. The majority was because he sold his soul to hate Trump, and, and he basically tarnished the brand that was CNN. It's still a liberal network, but it was not kind of the epicenter of never Trump, anti-Trump, MSNBC. I mean, we know they're liberal. Um, conservative. We, we Fox. I mean, we know Fox is conservative. CNN was kind of the, um, I mean, they, they were the, the ones that were, the, you know, they were trying to balance one side with the other, but they found a market. And then Zucker hated Trump and he demanded of his people, you know, you better hate Trump as much as I do or your airtime will be very limited. They've hired a new guy. The new guy says that he's going to reestablish CNN as a legitimate news brand. Um, a lot of the personalities got basically insulted that he even said, but I mean, that's his word, not mine. He said, we're going to rebrand CNN as a legitimate news um, agency. It formerly was. Um, the legacy of Trump will be the takedown of CNN. When you really think about, um, I mean, Trump did a lot of things, some good, some not so good. Um, some we wish he'd done a little bit differently. I mean, I think it was a highly effective president, and I'd vote for him again in a skinny minute. But um, the the cultural legacy of Donald Trump will not be whether he not secured the border, uh, the corporate tax cuts. The the cultural effect will be what he did to CNN and the media in general. When when Trump said fake news, it, they should have said, "Look, we're going to try to report on this president like we have every other." But instead, they accepted the fight. He drugged them to the gutter. He always wins the gutter fight, and they are tarnished forever. So so the guy that's trying to regenerate some validity and substance to the CNN model, good luck with that. I mean, I think that's a heavy lift, but um, but he's going to purge uh, of all the never-Trumpers, anti-Trumpers that he thinks are so stained and tainted. I mean, he wants those guys gone, those ladies gone, and try to start from scratch. Take a break. Back in just a minute. 843-661-0937 is our number. Someone's on the phone. Let's go there. It's DW in Florence. Morning, sir. Hey, guys. How you doing? Hey, DW. I got a question. I got a question for you, man. It's kind of funny. You know, I always know how incompetent the Biden group was, you know, and all their advisors. But what idiot thought it was a good idea to put Joe Biden on a bicycle and let him ride around with a bunch of people with cameras and pictures and uh, thought that'd be something good to do? Was kind of crazy to me, so it makes me feel worse about the incompetence of the Biden group. And the second thing I want to say is real quick is uh, about this ticket processing plant. Really throws me off that I want to know who owns the property and who how much they paid for it. And you know, it's not a good place where they can put it. It's not going to be a good place at all. I don't care if it's a hundred people or four hundred people because it's going to cause a mess. But I want to know who pulls strings to get whoever that is to own that property to let it go because it, it's, it's not a wise decision somebody's making a lot of money off this i think so this is my thought what you think i'll shut up go tiger see you brother thank you dw appreciate that um i, I don't have any idea on any of that uh i, I wouldn't begin speculating on, on who pulled strings to get what deal done um got to be careful there i mean that's in impugning somebody's integrity and i'm not going to do that unless i had you know, some truth. I mean, I think there, I've, I've raised the questions and DW and I have the same concern and that's congestion traffic. Um, you know, 125 people every eight hours, 130 people every eight hours, or, you know, 200 people twice a day. Don't have any idea what sort of shifts they run when they're shut down, when they're up and running. And look, this is not an issue with the business. This is an issue I have with the government failing 
to engage uh, the public about, you know, what its intents are. Um, what is the intent of the road? I mean, in other words, if they're going to be that much more traffic, truck traffic and uh, worker traffic, how are we going to deal with that? That's a very congested area. Uh, I know it because I travel that way a good bit. And um, I mean, I had somebody tell a friend of mine, well, you know, I already opposes it. I don't oppose it. Uh, but that's somebody hearing what they want to hear. He lives over that way. And of course, you know, and I, man, I grew up on a farm. I can assure you this um, chicken killing don't scare me. Chicken processing doesn't scare me. Hog rearing and hog slaughtering. Um, yeah, I mean, I've been around that kind of stuff all my life, but it is a very different sort of location for a business like that. But this has nothing to do, zero to do with the business owner. The questions I have are of government. Councilman Kent called them, called in and answered them the best he can, but that's one member of a nine-member body. Take a break. Back in a minute. Takes Mondays to make Friday's Pepsi of Florence trivia challenge. You ready? 843-661-0937. The first question, excuse me, the first answer to this question gets a six-pack of Pepsi product. Couple of takes Mondays to make Friday's t-shirt. We think we've got our supply chain issue almost addressed yep. back in the t-shirt business as we previously were. Um President Biden's not only the great cyclist. I mean, there are other great cyclists in America. When I see President Biden, I think of the great Lance Armstrong. I know he cheated, <laughs> but Biden may have too. So there's another thing they have, they have in common. Um, here's the question. How many Tour de France's did Lance Armstrong win? I know he's stripped of his titles and all that stuff, but how many Tour de France titles does Lance Armstrong officially or unofficially have? Uh, we know he... Man, he took some liberties with the rules mm -hmm. of cycling. But, uh, yeah, Joe Biden's a great cyclist, but so is Lance Armstrong. What is the answer? Hi, you're on the air. You know the answer? I believe it's three. Nope, not three. 843-661-0937. Got another? Hello, you're on. You know the answer? I believe it's three. No, five. Nope, not 5-843-661-0937. How many Tour de France titles does Lance Armstrong have? I know he got stripped, but how many did he win? Hello, you're on. You know the answer? Yeah, I think those left, man. Uh, what did he say? How many? Huh? What's your answer? Left. Eleven? Nah, nope, nope, not that many. 843-661-0937. Hi, you're on the air. You know the answer? It's seven. Seven. You're right. Seven Tour de France titles. Lance Armstrong, he better be glad Biden wasn't in any of those Tour de France's, <laughs> oh, yeah. or he would have significantly few. Who is this and where are you calling from? Uh, Robin from Florence. Okay, hang tight for just a minute. We'll get you back to Freehold. He'll get all your information. Uh, but thanks to Pepsi of Florence. Thanks uh, thanks to you for listening. Once again, Ellen Weaver tomorrow, Kathy Manis Thursday, Superintendent of Education Debate Thursday night. We'll talk tomorrow.